Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to call the meeting of Monday, December the 11th, 2023, to order at 2 p.m. We'll begin with our work session, a discussion regarding the neighborhood design standards at this time. Mr. Alexander. Thank you, Mayor, yes, City sir. Council. Good afternoon. These are the proposed neighborhood design standards. Want to walk through this with you all to receive additional guidance and direction. And there is an item on the 6 p.m. agenda. Uh, should the standards be where the city council would like for them to be? So starting first with the purpose and intent of these standards, they are to promote compact, mixed-use, walkable, and sustainable development patterns. A lot of that did emerge from the conversations on the Mansfield 2040 plan, ensuring that there is a pedestrian-friendly focal point for surrounding neighborhoods. So creating that actual neighborhood node where people can go and get ordinary goods and services that are necessary for life and making sure that those are within the five to 10 minute walk for most to those ordinary goods and services. And then to activate development standards that complete and enhance neighborhoods. So getting away from Euclidean zoning and conventional zoning practices that don't support the goals and initiatives that have come from you as a body and meet those as expected by the community. So here is showing how what we saw in Norton Commons was the fact that we had detached single family that was within walking distance of neighborhood shops. The same with an example here showing a townhome. And then taking that and looking at how those types of dwellings were within walking distance of this, which is the corner market, Marsalis Market, which was in Newtown St. Charles, that really kicked off the notion that we can have development patterns in Mansfield that replicate those that we have seen in other places. And building on that and creating environments where there are two-story buildings and taller that start to frame streets and create human-scaled and walkable environments. And ultimately leading to this, which is Norton Commons, and the idea that parking in particular, as you see in this photograph, that it is hidden behind buildings, that there is civic space that pulls buildings together, and that there is an identifiable center within this development that is much like what we're wanting to achieve with the standards as proposed. The other item that we have to work with, or against, I should say, is Senate Bill number 929. And essentially, that is that the governing body of a municipality or a zoning commission, as applicable, shall provide written notice of each public hearing regarding any proposed adoption of or change to a zoning regulation or boundary under which a current conforming use of a property is a non-conforming use if the regulation or boundary is adopted or changed. And essentially, what that means is that rather than wanting to go and change the community design standards, which are found in Section 155.056, of the Mansfield Code of Ordinances and creating a situation that could cause us to fall outside the bounds of these provisions pursuant to Senate Bill 929, we want to create a parallel set of standards. And those parallel set of standards would be under, as proposed, Section 155.057, and they would affect 
the following zoning districts, which are our commercial zoning districts, OP Office Park District, C1 Neighborhood Business District, C2 Community Business District, and C3 Commercial Manufacturing District. If I may add to this, some of our PD plant development districts, they do reference standards in either OP or C2 primarily, and as proposed, these standards would allow as applicable and provide they are not in conflict with those PD plant development district standards to apply. And that is here in terms of that proposed application. So again, running parallel to the OP, the C1, C2, and C3. And by the term running parallel or the phrase running parallel, essentially what we mean there is that we're giving developers and property owners an option. In terms of therapeutic standards, going back to the previous photograph when we were looking in on Norton Commons, rather than create a new system of streets, because that is created through the S South Mansfield Foreign Based Development District, or SOMA, and the D Downtown District, we want to work within the existing framework of streets. So arterials would be considered A thoroughfares and the B thoroughfares would be considered collector and local streets. All of the thoroughfares A and B would require sidewalks. However, the sidewalks would vary in width depending on the thoroughfare type and depending on the context. And then keeping in line with how we want to see a reduction in travel lane widths, we do have a maximum travel lane width of 11 feet and then we offer under these proposed standards, the ability to pave streets and asphalt, cobble, concrete, stone, or similar material. Now, because some of these streets are within TxDOT purview, we do have some provisions in this proposed ordinance that would allow for compliance with TxDOT standards. But ultimately, where they fall outside of those bounds or outside of any other policies that we have in place regarding thoroughfare types, that these standards will prevail and allow for the neighborhood design standards to continue. So a good case in point would be here, which is the streetscape that you see in front of you, which is Trillif. In terms of general performance standards, principal buildings must be between two and four stories in height. That did come out of the Mansfield 2040 plan discussions of, again, wanting to see some height to buildings, but that also came from discussions prior to. If we think about the 7-Eleven that is at the intersection of Broad Street and Matlock Road, while the building isn't two stories, the architectural design of that 7-Eleven, it does cause it to read as if it were two stories, and it helps give visual character to that corner. Outbuildings are limited to two stories in height, similar to the D Downtown District and SOMA. There are no minimum lot width or lot size requirements. There is a difference, however, in that it wanted to bring buildings closer to the street. There is a 20-foot front setback maximum, so that way, again, those buildings start to frame and define human-scale places. Going back to the height for a moment, there are some standards in place as proposed that would allow for a property owner developer to come to city council and seek relief. Like our other foreign-based development districts, these standards, they do lean heavily upon building frontages. There are four types, a dooryard, which would be common with a row house, a stoop, which would also be common with a row house, 
primarily shop fronts, and again, looking at the knee wall, the transom windows, the shop front display windows, which creates an architectural composition that goes back and harkens to days past when dealing with traditional ground floor commercial space. And there is also a gallery as well. In terms of building use, the uses that are proposed are those that are found in traditional neighborhoods. Row houses and manor houses, and there is a difference with this manor house, instead of limiting them to four dwellings or four units per dwelling, as in the D downtown district, that's been increased to six. And row houses and manor houses, they would not be allowed within 660 feet of certain intersections, and that's to ensure that we have the opportunity to keep the commercial presence and the commercial value of properties that are currently zoned as OP, C1, C2, and C3, and that this doesn't become a roundabout way to introduce residential uses without having commercial space. Flats are only permitted as an accessory use to a mixed-use building. I do want to pause there. In terms of a mixed-use building, essentially the standards as proposed would be looking at the entire ground floor as commercial space. So commercial space wouldn't be only 30 feet in depth or something of that character or design. It simply would be the entire ground floor is dedicated to commercial space as allowed under these standards. The flats would then only be allowed on the second, third, or fourth stories. And again, it would be an accessory use. Adult-themed establishments and medical clinics, including urgent care, they are not allowed. And again, that's to reinforce those same development patterns that we've seen in other communities. And that leads to something like this. In terms of parking, we are proposing something a lot different than what we have in our current zoning ordinance and even what has come before you in a lot of our PD plant development districts. Instead of requiring minimum parking, we wanted to flip the script and we wanted to provide a maximum parking requirement. So residential, it would be two assigned parking spaces per dwelling unit. Lodging would be one assigned parking space per bedroom or key. Office four per 1,000. Retail 10 assigned parking spaces per 1,000 square feet. And all other uses, it would be four. I would be remiss if I didn't say here that a developer or a property owner, they could come forward with a parking study that could show a reduction of the maximum required parking or they could come forward with a study that could show that they need more parking. But that study would be performed at their own expense. In terms of activated space, we do want to encourage those opportunities for outdoor dining and outdoor displays. We also want to make sure that we have those activated spaces because it does improve pedestrian safety, comfort, and interest. It also expands the tax space and attracts increased investment because of the fact that there is energy, there is vibrancy in the area, and obviously, too, it does calm motor vehicle traffic. And those types of spaces that we would want to see are a lot, or a lot like this, as we've seen with the dairy block in Denver, Colorado. And this is a really good example of that cross-block passage. And by the cross-block passage, meaning that it is pedestrian only. And in this image, you can see 
the strong presence of windows, which helps create that safety look and feel and vibe, as well as the lighting up top, which makes sure that it is safe for pedestrians at all times. Instead of having a system of warrants, there would be a system of deviations. And those deviations will come straight to city council and not through a public hearing format, but through a new business item. And the deviations are as follows, unless amended or there are some additions that city council will want to see. But as proposed, it would be the maximum travel lane width of a thoroughfare, the maximum building area. Under these proposed standards, a commercial building cannot exceed 10,000 square feet unless it's a grocery store, which then could go up to 45,000 square feet. Again, want to keep smaller building footprints, the minimum building height. So if there is a property owner developer that comes in that states that they can't meet the minimum two-story height requirement, that they could come and they could request a deviation from that. And then a maximum building height, there may be some considerations where four stories might be insufficient. And then finally, the allocation of commercial tenant space on two or more acres. Per the provisions as proposed, a minimum of 50% of the entire building area of a proposal on two or more acres must consist of commercial space. And again, the reason why that is in there is to make sure that there is commercial that is part of the actual development and that this isn't seen as an opportunity to introduce residential activity without the requisite commercial. Some additional considerations, and this does follow a lot of the other PD plant development districts and form-based development districts, that have come before you and that have been approved. Building mechanical elements must be screened whether they're on the ground or on top of buildings. All outdoor refuse, recycling, collection receptacles need to be located towards the rear or side of lots. That way it doesn't disrupt the visual quality or the aesthetic appeal of the public realm. All proposed developments must incorporate at least 5% of the total lot area to civic space. And then for all properties, again, to be developed on two or more acres, having that requisite commercial space. And again, leading to things looking like this, which is historic downtown Alpharetta. This is four stories. And you see the ground floor is all dedicated to commercial use. And then second, third, and fourth story would be for residential activity. And if you look at the rhythm of the buildings here architecturally, you can see there are very projections, very cornice lines, and other architectural features and detailing that help support a very active, vibrant, and walkable streetscape. And what we do recommend, if there aren't any other considerations that come from City Council that you will want to see in the proposed text, and we are ready to make any additions that City Council would have for possible consideration at 6 p.m. is that the first one being that section 155.057, letter O, number one, letter C, as proposed, be deleted. That is in front of you. It is a typo concerning residential uses being limited to the second story or above. We think that we've addressed that through the requirements that flats only be on the second, third, and fourth stories. And then following 
That would be the clause as in section 155.057, letter O, number four, letter D, uh, as proposed that it also be deleted, and that's concerning temporary batch plants, because that will be addressed in other provisions that will come before you. And with that, I do recognize that that was a lot, but I yield to you, Mayor, City Council, to receive sure. additional direction and guidance. All right, thank you, uh, Ms. Bounds. <laughs> Mr. Alexander, back on the manor houses. Yes, ma'am. Um, did I hear right that manor houses are not allowed within 600 feet of a thoroughfare? 660 feet of certain thoroughfares. So two A thoroughfares and an A thoroughfare and a B thoroughfare, it couldn't be located there. That's to push it off towards the edge of the commercial areas. All right, so there would be no expectation that in the manor houses at all there'd be any kind of commercial, right? Correct. Okay, all right, thank you. All right, Mr. Lewis. Thank you, Mayor. Yes, uh, thank you, Mr. Alexander. We've sometimes said, you know, if all of your zoning cases are coming for you forward as a planned development because your code doesn't allow you to build what you want to see in your community, then your code's broken. And so I think this is a great step toward uh, addressing that without interfering on anybody that has existing C2 rights. Um, so I wanted to commend you first. It was, it's a very thorough addition to the zoning ordinance. Um, Thank you. On page, I, I got a series that just kind of go th through. Um, on page three, when it discusses the um, exceptions for where in conflict for uh, plan development, I guess on page two, sorry. Um, I know that some plan developments would reference C2, C3, C1, OP. Um, I have a little bit of a concern allowing somebody that went through a public hearing process to receive a plan development specific to now get additional entitlements that maybe they weren't, they didn't go through a public hearing process to allow for. Um, before I would want to strike that out, I may just want to see what PDs, if it's a limited number, and see what those look like. I, does staff have a thought on where, how many of those there are and which ones they are that would reference those? Yes, sir. I don't have an exact number, but there are quite a few out there, and one that comes to mind rather immediately would be some provisions of the Reserve PD Plan Development District that do reference some C2 standards. And those C2 standards, I think, maybe take away from the intent and vision behind the Reserve, which is for a mixed-use environment. And the thought process was that these standards would allow for that vision to maybe be reinforced. Yeah, and I understand the intent. I think my concern is that somebody went through a public hearing process where we noticed the public and now they would be getting additional entitlements that weren't part of what we told the public when they went through, whether that was five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, the public has an expectation that they came, spoke, saw a specific plan development approved and now we would be introducing additional uses or additional entitlements that maybe weren't considered yes, at sir. that time. Um, so I think I want to kind of wrestle through that a little bit sir. to know which ones there are. Um, on page three, when it talks about maximum height uh, in, a, in proximity to existing residential, um, was there any consideration or discussion about rather than just abutting, but actually having it as a number of feet from existing residential? 
No, sir, but that can certainly be contemplated if it's within a certain distance from existing single family. Okay, I think I would personally like to see that maybe have the ability to scale up. Um, what, when I initially read it, what my concern was that somebody would plat right up against the residential like a two-story and then 80 feet away, they're able to go higher than that because they've separated uh, yes, against it. So maybe something like 150 feet 150 from within feet. existing residential um, was one. And then also that seemed, the two-story piece there seemed in conflict with the minimum three-story requirement for row homes. For row, right. Right, because if you say, hey, against existing residential, it can only be two stories, but then your row homes require three stories, how do you put a row home against existing residential? Yes, sir. With it. So that just seemed in conflict, if that could be some language to address that. Um, I do, can you explain to me like a one acre or one and a half acre C2 lot, what this additional entitlement would allow them for because they're under this two acre minimum. Would they be able to just introduce the residential and not have any commercial components? So they wouldn't be able to do a lot of the residential uses for some of the C2 that is remaining out there that is undeveloped because of the fact that it's within that proximity of the intersection of two A thoroughfares or A thoroughfare and B thoroughfare. So what we will be looking for there will be straight up commercial activity just because of the fact that the size of the lot and a location at the intersection will compel it to be developed that way. What it would encourage, however, if that were something that was desired that the developer or a property owner acquire additional property to maybe master plan that more so residential uses could be brought on. But for a lot of the properties that we're seeing right now that are zoned as such, the death isn't there that would allow for residential uses. So it'd be purely for commercial use. Okay. That was I'm thinking through several that don't necessarily meet an intersection, but they are up against a thoroughfare. There's one on Matlock. Um, there's a newer subdivision as you get closer to the Matlock and Debbie intersection on the east side, and there's a carved out one and a half acre section that is C2. Um, I would think that that needs to just remain a commercial property and not have residential. If Because it's less than two acres here, you're telling me that they would, they that property would have to build as commercial uses under commercial standards. No, sir. So there, as that example, under these standards, it could develop either way. So it could be for residential or it could be for commercial because it's set back 660 feet okay. from an intersection. So if it's an in-line property, you're given that flexibility of introducing rooftops but still allowing for commercial standards. Okay. I think in for... I won't speak for everyone. For me, I, I don't love that. And I think every property that is zone C2 today should have commercial minimum. So I would I'd suggest that that just goes anybody that wants period of modification or a deviation out of that, that they would have to come before council, council to address that rather yes, than sir. just give that entitlement to these smaller properties. If I may ask, would you want to maybe lower the threshold of two acres to maybe an acre where that commercial requirement would be in place for 50%? I think the, the concern that I have is there are, in these random spots, there's not a, a bunch of them, but where they are, the residents that are in those areas have already looked at a zoning map mm -hmm. and they trust that that's going to be a commercial property uh, of some type. And 
um, whether it's a, a half acre or an acre or whatever, the zoning map says it's C2 commercial, C1 commercial, whatever it is. And so the expectation would be of the residents that are in that community next to it, that that's going to be a commercial property or that they're gonna have a public hearing process where they can speak. And yes, if, if they don't have that opportunity and somebody could introduce a residential use on a half acre lot, I don't, I don't know if that is fair to those residents that are in that area that expected a commercial property. And so I, I think that there needs to be some mechanism that if somebody wants, to, if it's a half acre C2 lot and they could technically through this get residents on there, I think that they need to come before council um, to do that. I think the larger lots we address really well in here, mm -hmm. but the smaller ones, I just had a little concern. We understand and we'll okay. get that corrected. Okay. Um, when it references thoroughfares, are we talking our existing thoroughfares, or are we talking the internal thoroughfares within a project? Internal thoroughfares and even other existing thoroughfares, so taking into account both. Okay, I was trying to, in my head, process through like where Best Buy is, it, the, that road network that's internal there is, is private road network, right? But we're just saying that now it's gonna follow thoroughfare type standards. Yes, sir. Internal, they'll still be privately maintained and owned roadways. It could be private or, or public. Or they could public, okay. Mm -hmm. um, good, and so with that, um, I didn't see anything about like asking for bike lanes or dedicated bike markers or um, what sidewalks, I saw sidewalk widths, but it, are there street trees that are supposed to be planted in there? I didn't notice any of those requirements and if I missed them, then just tell me I missed them. I think we address the street tree requirement and that they have to be planted 30 feet on center. And I know that we do have some standards existing for the planter or the parkway width, but we can certainly beef that part up. And then we didn't add anything in dealing with bike lanes because that could vary. So, got it. So what, I, what my thought there when it came to the street trees, you know, we've talked even at Shops at Broad, that mm -hmm. it would have been great had rather than have the giant sidewalk and then you've got the roadway there that they had done head-in parking against all of that, right? Yes, and sir. so then you have these sidewalks that have street trees spaced throughout. Just wanted to make sure that there were some standards in there. Same would go for the Home Depot parking lot or the Best Buy parking lot or any of these other commercial main developments that they would have the walkability factors that we know with street trees, sidewalks, all, all of that. Uh, so if those standards aren't there, then can we make sure they are? Yes, sir. Um, the, on page eight, um, on public lighting, just says shall be approved by the director of planning. Is there a, I, th I think from the most part in the D downtown district, we had a standard for what those would look like. I know you're, probably seeking some flexibility there for like retrofitting, but do we have a standard that we can reference as like this is ideal about the planning director? Not quite yet, but we can get that. And the reason why that was left the way that it was as proposed is because for example, for one project, we have a set of lighting standards that go substantially above and beyond what is even required by us or by one of our franchise providers and seeing what those actually look like and then coming in and maybe having a photograph of those. We do think that it would help with that uh, approval process and reducing the risk 
that developers or property owners have, and then also creating something that is uniform based off of that. So I know that that's still in the works. Okay. Um, as far as building height, um, I was fine with the first story residential, but uh, commercial uses, what, what is the standard C2? What's the minimum floor height for a standard C2 today? There the, isn't any. The minimum C, uh, story height, there isn't one? There isn't one. It's just a max of 50 feet. Okay. And, of course, the building code will come into play with height considerations, but as it pertains to zoning, it's not there. Okay, cool. I'd, 11 feet for first story uses seemed low. You want to increase that? It just seemed low if it was a commercial use, but I also know we're doing smaller scale buildings, so it's, uh, in my head, I'm thinking through, like, our 20,000 square foot mm -hmm. commercial buildings. Those probably would tend to have higher ceilings. So I'm sure it's fine if I wanted to ask if the existing code had any standard. Um, is there, we talk about like allowable uses versus restricted uses, um, but we can't necessarily predict all allowable uses. Is it better to have just a restricted use list rather than stated uses? Because you got like two pages of stated uses in here and then if somebody doesn't exactly fall into that. Yeah, we thought about that and we know that land uses can certainly change as there are changes with technology or even in society, but we wanted to be sure that we were capturing more of the neighborhood-oriented uses. But if there are uses that we're missing, we could have some language in there that says other similar uses. And maybe that does come to the city council for review and consideration there. But we wanted to make sure we didn't have anything that disrupted the surrounding urban fabric. Okay. Yeah. I don't want to, I just know how the process works. Somebody has a, a, a business that they want to open and they're going to go pull a permit. They're going to get to the permit desk and they say, nope, you don't meet into the use table. And then maybe they're just gone mm -hmm. from it. Um, and so if there is a path, I know there's always a path, but it usually requires like money and time and going through council and public notice and all that. But I think I'm okay with the list that I saw, but I'm again, trying to think through future and what other uses could it possibly exist. It's, impossible because there's going to be things over the next 10 years that don't exist today so um mr lewis let me let me do this <clears throat> let me just just hit the pause let me look down this soundless of the day house you all have some input okay go ahead julie and then i'll go back to mr lewis <clears throat> i just had two questions and wanted to get some clarification on on page four we've got uh, design for tenant flexibility I wasn't understanding exactly what you're requiring for the restaurant venting and yes. grease traps. Is that for every commercial for every space? Building, right. And then that way, as the users change in the building, it wouldn't require retrofitting. It would already be there. So the use, or I should say the building space, will be adaptable, flexible to the user. So is that for every space that's created or... Just one in the building or? It would be for the building. So if they do have different tenant spaces and they would need to accommodate for those different tenant spaces. If we wanted to put in there that 
it should only be for one space or maybe two spaces, we could do that as well. We just want to make sure that the spaces were flexible in terms of retail versus food service. And that was kind of one of the lessons that was learned with Battery Park at Truist Field about the fact that now most of their activities deal primarily with food service and not retail. So just thinking forward there. But we can certainly make adjustments there as desired. So, so the developer would, when they do the building, would have to do a grease trap in every space. That, that does seem excessive for me. It seems super expensive and like it might knock out some developments where you would have the mixed uses. I would feel better if we said, you know, one, one space, two okay. spaces per building, maybe depending on the, the square footage, something like that, just not for every space. Yes, ma'am. And then my, my other question was about the 5% uh, of civic space. I mean, if we have a two-acre piece, that just seems, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me that we would, you know, take, that's a large portion for a two-acre piece. You're, you're losing a whole lot space if you were to develop there to have a civic space. And I, and I don't know really what you'd do with the 4,300 square feet, something like that. Yeah, I mean, again, you could just maybe explain what how that would look in real life. Yeah. So that little area right there, granted, it's in the middle of Norton Commons, and it is surrounded by parking. But we could take that same little spot, and whatever those dimensions may be, and that could be placed within a certain area of a development where individuals could come out and socialize and gather. That's kind of what we were looking for there. We weren't looking for something that was tremendous just because of the fact that we were supporting higher intensity uh, development, but that would be appropriate. Or even if it weren't that, that this could be an opportunity for some type of civic space, a fountain feature that is right there in the middle. And even thinking about here, and I should have had an image in here, and I apologize for that. I know that there is one, I believe, in the design standards that shows that type of space, if I'm remembering correctly, and I may not be, but here, If we recall this space from Washington, D.C., uh, and this is Alexandria, that right up the street from these buildings, there was a small coffee house that had a courtyard in the back. Those types of more intimate spaces were what we were looking for. Okay. I, I wonder if there's something we could do where if it's, if you're already within a certain distance from a, neighboring civic space that it wouldn't it could be waived on the smaller pieces possibly yes ma'am absolutely okay thank you all right <clears throat> anybody else before i go back to mr lewis y'all good go ahead mr lewis 
Thank you, buddy. I only had one more. Uh, oh, you are right. On page 21 about bed and breakfast, um, yeah. is it a fairly standard exclusion that just says they can only have food service during at breakfast? Yeah, and we were kind of thinking about that, sir, of maybe just allowing it at all times of day. Didn't know what city council's temperature would be on that. Uh, the one that stands out to me is the one in Norton Commons, the bread and, bed and breakfast that's right up the street from a couple of others, and they do have, like, nighttime service there. Um, I didn't see any reason why we would try to limit the hours of food service out of that, so I didn't have an issue striking that one. Yes, sir. And you yeah, got heads nodding out. as well, so. so yes, sir. from the council person. I, that said, I went through it, and those were like, that's it's 56 pages. I made detailed notes as I went through every page, and there was very little. You know, I think you guys did a great job preparing for it and getting it. Um, I know staff's there taking notes. Is that something that those modifications that we brought up today could be made before this evening so that they're there, or would we need to re- I'd love to get this adopted, but also want to make sure that we're following the right procedures here. We certainly are taking those, and that is our desire as well. But because of the importance of this, if I may ask, Mayor, City Council, we want to make sure we have this right and that we've captured everything. Could we bring this back to you on January 8th with those changes and with any additions that support the guidance, the instruction, direction that we've received from you today. All right, sir, let me get the temperature of the council in that regard. Looking to my left, are you all all right with this coming back at the 11th? Okay. Larry, you good? I am, Mayor, and I, I really appreciate the comments that, uh, that Mr. Lewis has made. I, I don't see a one that I disagree with. All right. Mighty fine. Mr. Uh, Newsom. Yeah. I'd, yes, sir. I prefer if we're going to bring it back to give you time to make sure that you know you have all the, have all your issues That's addressed. Right. So I, I'm I'm fine for January. Thank you. All right, we're good. Ms. Miles, you good? Go ahead, Mr. Lewis. Correct me if I'm wrong. Right. In the residential uses, is there anything that allows for single-family construction in these? No, sir. And if I may ask on the residential uses, and please pardon me for that failing to come to memory earlier, are there any other residential uses that City Council would want to see as part of this, including maybe some multifamily outside of a flat? I, I was great with the uses that you had, but up to the intensity that is allowed, I was a little surprised there wasn't any single family in there, um, single family detached allowable. Obviously we, we like single family detached. Mm -hmm. um, so if Norton Commons has a, a broad mix, most of the ones that we see have a broad mix mm -hmm. from single family detached to manor homes to then your, your stacked flat out of it. Um, so if there are some single family residential standards that seem to make sense, we would know that they would all be alley loaded. They're obviously going to have front porches pushed up to the sidewalk, all of those type of things. Um, I don't know of any of us or anybody in our community that would be opposed to seeing those neighborhood oriented ones. But I don't know if any, yeah, bungalows and shotgun homes and all of those type of single family home. Diversity, diversity of housing types. Yes, sir. That's, that's sure. what we want to go for. Mayor, Mr. Lewis, if I may ask, on the detached single family, 
is there a minimum floor area that you would be looking for or would you want to see it on par with the D downtown district? I believe in the D downtown district is 1,600 or 1,800 square feet. I think downtown was 1,600. I wouldn't want to go any smaller by right with that. All right, we're agreeing. That is a big bungalow. Yeah. It's a bungalow. <laughs> go ahead. Maybe just get us some recommendations on know. what that, that say, would look like. It, it, it's so hard sitting up here trying to think through every possible scenario that somebody may want to build on property. That, like, it's just impossible to yes, do, sir. but you also don't want to restrict the rights. And, and I would say the yeah. same to the mayor's yeah. point. He said diversity in housing. If they're doing that, I think there should be some variations within that we wouldn't want a whole c2 property where every home is bungalow court right, right. so maybe um, a distance between exactly yes sir yep. understood okay. thank you all right so come january the 11th 8th excuse me i'm sorry so on the 8th we'll we'll have a, another nice package absolutely all right buddy all right thank, thank you, you so much thank you good job mr lewis all right at this time, discussion regarding standards for temporary batch plants, and that's going to be our city attorney, Brad. Good afternoon, Mayor and Council. Good afternoon, it's always a pleasure to be here with you. Yes, After receiving, or I guess having a conversation, receiving direction from you at our last meeting in November, wanted to bring to you today some proposed amendments to our temporary batch plant regulations. To start the conversation, I just want to identify for you the existing regulations within your ordinances. In section 155.099.B23, sets out additional conditions for the operation of, or special conditions for the operation of temporary batch plants within the city. And another section 155.082.E8. Uh, in subsection E there authorizes special exceptions to be granted by your Board of Adjustment. Specifically in subsection eight authorizes a special exception for a plant to violate in essence or exceed two restrictions within your regulations to operate within 300 feet of a protected use, which they would otherwise be prohibited from doing or to continue for more than 120 days, which was also otherwise prohibited under your regulations. This conversation really wouldn't make sense without being in the context of the state preemption and the state regulation that you're operating within, that you must operate within. So I want to touch base on that quickly as well. The Texas Clean Air Act is found in Chapter 382 of the Texas Health and Safety Code. Specifically, Section 382.113 requires that an ordinance adopted by a municipality or a city uh, be consistent with the, the rules, regulations found in Chapter 382 of the Health and Safety Code and the Commission's rules and orders that are adopted pursuant to authority under that chapter. And in addition to the, that consistency requirement, our ordinances cannot make unlawful a conditioner act approved by Chapter 382 or those same rules and orders from the Commission. The three purposes as we prepared these amendments. First, an overarching purpose of protecting and preserving the health and safety and welfare of the community. Next, and, and most pointedly, uh, to ensure notice is provided to adjacent property owners to advise of an application for a temporary batch plant permit. And finally, as we're looking at the regulations and making amendments, it only makes sense to ensure that those regulations are up to date and consistent with state law as we're required to be in accordance with Chapter 382. 
I want to walk through the, what we're proposing and what these amendments do uh, with you. First, we would repeal section 155.082E8. That's the section that provided for the special exception for the operation of the batch plant to exceed to otherwise existing regulations. That would remove this special exception process from our regulatory processes here at the city. The reason being that to the extent that the operation in a location that exceeds those regulations is legal or authorized by the state, we're preempted from making it unauthorized. Therefore, taking away something that we may not have the ability to enforce anyway. Uh, so that, that's the, the reason for the recommendation that we go ahead and pull this out of our, of our ordinances moving forward. Next, with regard to 155.099B23, uh, the first amendment I want to touch on with you would be to incorporate a notice to be sent to adjacent property owners. Uh, as drafted, it would require notice to be mailed to property owners that are located within 250 feet of the proposed site of the temporary batch plant, and that notice then would be sent out within five days after the permit is filed with the city. Next, staying within section 155.099B23, we would establish a more formal permit process where they would submit an application for a permit along with specified materials and information that we would want to see and be able to review at the city level. Uh, one being a, cop a copy of applications that are submitted to the TCEQ uh, to include their site plan to, so that we can uh, identify setbacks, uh, their stormwater control plan, uh, dust mitigation plan and how they, they plan to uh, comply with the state requirements as far as controlling uh, dust, and then there are hours of operation. All that information to be included with the permit. And again, uh, further amendments to 155.099B23. Essentially, because we're required to operate in consistently with what the state regulations are, we, we've kept in place certain of the requirements that were previously in the ordinance in an effort to reiterate some of the state requirements that are, that are important to the city. Uh, and, and I say important from the sense of these are things that I heard you speak about to us. There are also things that were previously adopted and, and put in your ordinance for, uh, for regulation. Those being the location of equipment, stockpiles, and vehicles on the site. That looks like setback requirements that are in state law that we're incorporating into our ordinance. Limitation on the number of uh, plants in operation and the site location. Limitation on the use of the site for multiple projects and compliance with all federal and state regulations in general. The, that, that's my overview uh, of the, the amendments themselves. I did want to go ahead and, and just touch on two things with regard to next steps. Uh, as we proceeded to prepare these amendments and present them to you, we identified these things that, that we'll be doing. Just so you know, there's, there's additional work to be coming down, down the road, right? First, to, amend and to review and amend authorized uses in the zoning districts, right? Not only do these regulations and the preemption in Chapter 382 regulate our our specific regulation of air quality. So that's specifically controlled. But case law establishes that this extends to our land use regulations as well. And for that reason, we'll continue to look through the zoning uh, ordinance to make sure that all of our zoning districts and the use tables there are consistent and, and don't either authorize or prohibit something that's inconsistent with what state law would allow. And in addition to that, to, that we would review and establish procedures to implement the amendment, the amended processes that we would be establishing with this ordinance. With that, Council, I will make myself available for questions or comments about these proposed amendments. All right, Ms. Bounds, then I'll come to my left. Um, 
I know that your very last comments on here are that you're going to take a look in the zoning ordinances uh, in the districts and, and look at where uh, changes may need to be made. So I do want to bring that up. I do want to bring up the land use table under manufacturing and industrial uses that temporary batch plants in that land use are permitted by right. Does that conflict with Chapter 382 or any of the laws that you're aware of? If not, then since we're deleting it and removing it from all these other areas, it would make sense that it would be removed from those as well. I, I, I do not believe that that, that that specifically conflicts if it's allowed by right. Um, to me, that wouldn't go against, say, a state issuance of a permit that allows it in that location. We'd be more concerned with uh, where our regulations might prohibit an operation that otherwise would be authorized by the state and, and potentially could go against uh, what we're restricted or prohibited from doing by the state law. So I don't know that it specifically would, but I think your recommendation does sound consistent with what we would be trying to do. Um, so to, to pull out the things that are, number one, inconsistent across our ordinances. On one level, we want our ordinances to be consistent in what they provide. Um, and to the extent that, so to, I'll stop short of specifically saying yes, that's what I would do, only because I want to I look at the entire set of ordinances uh, and, and use tables to make sure that it's done consistently. Sure, I looked at uh, chapter 382 and I didn't see where it was mandated that you had to offer it by right in any land use. So that's my question. It would be consistent with our amendments and our changes if we did remove that as well. Right now, I haven't looked thoroughly through all those places, but I, I do think that's an option. Yes, ma'am. All right, on my left, y'all good? Mr. Bronx, okay. All right, Mr. Tenor, you good, sir? All right, on my right, Mr. Lewis, Mr. Newsom, y'all all right? All right, thank you, my friend, I appreciate it. All right, council, want to do a couple of things. One is, I want to review the consent agenda, but I want to go another step forward. I would like to ask if there are any of those items that you would like to be pulled and discussed and go ahead and vote the consent agenda up or down and then from there uh, move to our um, old business and then our public hearings so that way we'll have the opportunity to have good discussion in executive session. All right, Ms. Bounds, you have one? Let me, let Mayor, I'd ready. like to pull 23-577. Okay. Um, and then I do have a question to pull for 23-5775. Um, 5775. All right. That's from Ms. Bounds. All right, on my left, is there another one you all would like to have pulled? Okay, seeing no heads nodding. All right, go ahead, Mr. Newsom. Uh, 23578888. Okay. 5798. Eight, eight. Okay, 89. All righty. And what else, sir? I'm sorry. 
All right, um, 23-5788, 89, and 90, am I right? Correct. Okay, and Ms. Bounds, 5775 and 5777, is that right? Yes. All right, so at this time, if there are no others to be pulled, I will accept a motion. Move to approve. Thank you, Ms. Short. Second. Thank you, Ms. Bounds. Questions? Hearing none, please cast your votes. And the motion carries 7-0. <clears throat> All right, let's go to 23-5777 um, and Kira's gonna pull that up for us so we can read that. And it is a resolution of the City Council of the City of Mansfield, Texas, authorizing the, <clears throat> excuse me, city manager or his designee to negotiate, finalize, and execute a development agreement uh, with Bridgeview Multifamily LLC, finding that the meeting at which this resolution is passed is open to the public as required by law and declaring an effective date. Ms. Bounds, go ahead. Yes, Mayor. I would like to make a motion to table this item until January the 8th. Thank you very much. All right, that's a motion, ladies and gentlemen. Can second. I get a second? Thank you, Mr. Newsom. Seconds it, I believe. All right. Questions? Hearing none, please cast your vote. All right. That motion carries to be tabled until our January 8th meeting. All right, thank you very much. We'll move now to, um, let's go to item 5775. Okay, and that is a resolution authorizing the city manager or designee to enter into a memorandum of understanding with the North Central Texas Council of Governments to outline the roles and responsibility of each partner with respect to development of multi-agency communication, uh, data, and uh, video sharing on a regional intelligent a transportation network that allows the uh, signatory agencies to receive three points for MTP policy bundles, uh, which helps with funding requests, establishes an agency's interest in uh, participating through a connection to a regional network. Agencies can steer the technical and conceptual uh, direction, cost implications, and speed of development of the uh, sharing initiative, and confirms and agencies interest and intent to share communication media data and video with regional partners go ahead sir um I, just a couple of I'm questions sorry. on that um what transportation system is this particularly referring to so is it rail is it bus lines is it traffic patterns for vehicular traffic jams all over the place? I mean, what does it refer to? Uh, eventually, it could lead to all of that. What now it is, it's the intelligent transportation system, which is mostly focused on regional roadways and uh, conditions along the roadway itself. Uh, and it's my understanding by reading it that it looks like a committee is going to be developed. Is that correct? That is correct, yes, ma'am. Um, the committee will be uh, designing all the rules and regs and I guess all the bylaws and everything for this. Um, it's my understanding that if you're part of this MOU that you would be considered part of the committee. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, and then I see where there's going to be points for helping funding some things here, but do we have any idea or can we come close to any idea of what this cost is gonna look like 
given our own fiber situation we have in the city? Do we have any idea what this is going to look like for us? We do not. That would be a future agreement that would through, have through COG. Right now, most of our uh, ITS system is through wireless communication. We have very little fiber that we use. So we have an existing wireless communication system we use for our traffic signal to bring data back to the TMC. So it would be still used along that, that line, communication along those lines. And it won't impede what we currently have out there for our wireless, right? I just recently yeah. got fiber, and I, don't, yeah. I love it, and I don't want to see anything go wrong with that. Um, so uh, the costs will be considered when the committees are established and then looked, looked at, correct? Yes, ma'am. And then any costs associated would be brought back to the council for an, a separate agreement. All right. All right. That's all I have for that. Okay, Mr. Newsom, did you want to add to that? Yeah, not, I, I guess just had a little bit, you know, at least for you know the audience, people watching, myself included, on the MO, um, memorandum, memorandum of understanding. What are we potentially obligated for in the future as far as, okay, how are we committed? Is this going to commit us, you know, to dollars on our part, or is that just completely unknown at this point? At this juncture, it's really going to involve as we as we move forward. Uh, right now, it's just agreeing that we will share data in the future with uh, cities that also executed the MOU, and they could also share data with us. So eventually, the, the goal is to get a regional data system in place right. for all the regional network to to be able to share data throughout. Right. I mean, I, I mean, I guess, I mean, I, I think there was a list of the cities that have already signed this, or the cities that have not signed this or refused to sign it at this point. Not that I'm aware of. I know COG contacted us to, to see if we'd be willing to, you know, execute the agreement to, to be on board. Uh, really, we're, we're getting there on the bottom floor before the, even the committee's formed or, or be a part of the committee. So we'll get to shape the regional architecture as far as the ITS systems involved. Okay. So we, we get to say on how the system's going to be set up and uh, the uh, monetary uh, fiscal responsibilities that we'll have. So do we have any concern at all that once this committee is is formed that it could potentially even though you know we're only one of say it's 10 cities and all the other cities want to do something that obligates outlay of funds do we have recourse not to do that if we're not in agreeing if we're not in agreement of what that is or do we even know that at this point at this point we are not committed to any additional funding sources so we are not committed to additional funding from that if, if it did get voted on the committee to it for additional funding on various resources, I do believe this agreement still says we don't have to join in. Exactly. You believe it or you, or you know it? I, from, from what I understand from the agreement for reading it, we are not committed at okay. this point. It would be an additional agreement required is, is how this is written. So any additional funding that's required would require additional fund, uh, an agreement come back to the council. Okay. I just sometimes have a hard time you know, trying to think of what all the potential pitfalls are down the, down the road for us without really knowing, you know, where this ultimately, the goal is for it to ultimately lead. Yeah. I mean, I understand the perceived and the initial benefits, you know, or what the ideal is, but, you know, there's, you know, sometimes ideals don't always work out the way you think they, they will in the beginning. So. Yeah. And COG's trying to get people to establish it through offering a carrot, which is the, you know, the three points for an MTP, which helps future funding. They'd rather do it through that way than through a hammer requiring everybody to do it. 
Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. <clears throat> Thank you very much. Anyone else? All right. Mighty fine. I'm ready to receive a motion on 5775. I'll move to approve. All right. Thank you, Mr. Brosh. Second. Thank you, ma'am. All right. Questions? Hearing none, those in favor, please vote. All right. That item carries 5-2. Thank you very much. All right. We move now to um, item 57, I think that's 88. I don't, she's going to pull up 5788 for me. I'm going to read that, and then we'll discuss that. <coughs> Item 5788, that is a resolution of the city council of the city of Mansfield, Texas, adopting and authorizing the use of the construction manager at risk delivery method for the Harvest Point multipurpose soccer stadium project, delegating authority to the city manager, finding that the meeting at which this resolution is passed is open to the public as required by law and providing an effective date. All right. Go ahead, sir. Just Ask my, just, away. Just my main question. Um, as far as, you know, the process goes, what, when, not that I have any issue with, with Joe being able to take on, you know, that responsibility. I just want to make sure that I, I have a good understanding of, you know, where that starts, where ours ends, you know, you know going forward. Sure. So this, this item is um, just from a procurement standpoint. Before we go out and issue an RFQ formally and publish it in the newspaper and put it out to the market, this is just authorized, this resolution authorizes us to go through that process. And so where we are right now is we've initiated an RFQ for architecture. And so we've got a list, short list of architects to, to consider. And we plan to bring those to you in January. And so this would be shortly thereafter so you can bring on a construction manager um, after that RFQ gets published in January. So likely February is when we would bring a recommendation to you to consider. That way you've got the architect and a construction manager. Okay. All right, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of the construction manager risk process. I think that's much more beneficial to, uh, to the citizens as far as um, being an advocate for you know, the most cost-effective way to, for a project to move forward. So I just wanted to get a little bit of clarification as far as what that looks like for us um, coming, coming, down the, coming down the pipe. So thank you. Yes, that was the only question I had. All right. All right. I'm ready to receive a motion. Would you motion like to me? approve. There you go. All Second. right. All right. Motion. All right. That was Ms. Bounds, I believe. All right. All in favor, please cast your votes. All right. That's six to one. Sure. <laughs> We're going to take your red. Again, so All right. So, yes, please vote again for the record. No, it's okay. Case okay. changes to There we go. All right. All right. The motion carries 7 0, and you're fine. Don't you worry about it. All right. Moving. <laughs> it was me. It was me. All right. Item 23 5789. That is a, uh, a resolution of the City Council of the City of Mansfield, Texas, opposing the granting of the uh, Texas Commission on Environmental Quality Proposed Air Quality Permit Number 172856, authorizing the construction 
of a concrete batch plant located at 5428 East Farm to Market Road, 1187 Burleson, uh, Tarrant County, Texas, finding that the meeting at which this resolution is passed is open to the public as required by law and providing an effective date. As Ms. Ramirez comes forward, Council, I think, full transparency, uh, we are partnering with uh, State House Rep. Uh, David Cook of District 96 regarding this particular resolution. So this is a, a partnership between us and him in that regard. And their public meeting is coming up really soon. So, yes. all right. All right. So that's what this is. So go right ahead, y'all. I 100% understand what this is. That's why I pulled it because I think it's important for everybody to be aware of this particular issue that we, that unfortunately, you know, continues to be a little bit of a persistent um, concern uh, for not only the citizens in Mansfield, but the citizens in our adjacent communities and um, all of our uh, students that are in Mansfield ISD. So I just uh, wanted to bring this out off the consent agenda so that uh, maybe it gets a little bit more airplay that will allow um, people to um, pay cl closer attention, know that this is out there, and be able to take action uh, from, their, from their homes and their individual perspectives. All right. You'd like to offer the motion, yeah. sir? Motion to approve. All right, Mr. Newsom. Second, I believe, by Ms. Short. All right, questions? Hearing none, please cast your vote. Mayor, uh -oh. just draw attention that this evening is the meeting at Ancora Event Center at 7 p.m. Thank you, uh, sir. It's the TCEQ public hearing. Um, so anybody that can go should go and, and speak out. And we've now passed a resolution. I assume it's going to pass that uh, we can present to the TCEQ this evening. Thanks. Right. <clears throat> Y'all go ahead and vote for them and then we can move on. There we go. Passes 7-0. Thank you all very much. All right. Item 23-5790. Got the chiefs up here. This is a resolution of city council of the city of Mansfield, Texas, authorizing the purchase of replacement radios, associated hardware and accessories for the police and fire departments from Motorola Solutions, Inc., in the amount of $1,684,551.87, finding that the meeting at uh, which this resolution is passed is open to the public as required by law and providing an effective date. Go right ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to give uh, Chief Heron, Chief Frost, a little bit um, time to comment on this. I know this is an, important for both their departments and um, give you the opportunity to just sort of fill us in about what this means and how it will, uh, how y'all will be able to utilize this upgrade. Sure thing. Uh, good afternoon, Council. Thank you for the question, Councilmember Newsom. So what we are standing in front of you today asking you to approve is 130 radios for police, 90 radios for the fire department, and six for animal control. Well, the current radios that we have in, in both or well, all agencies, I guess, have purchased uh, after 2011 or in 2011. Some were demos, some were writ leftovers from Super Bowl when the Super Bowl was here. Uh, what we've recently, what's recently come to our attention is that we, we are unable to obtain parts, batteries, and accessories to repair them. Uh, whenever they're broken, and we have quite a few that are. So that has limited our ability to have radios out in the field. I'm, I'm certain that Chief Aaron is, is feeling the same way. I'll give him the opportunity to comment in a moment. But I guess we come to you with uh, a little bit of urgency because uh, we find ourselves often in, in situations that I would consider to be immediately dangerous to life and health. 
And those radios are our lifelines. That's how we're going to call for help when we can't physically do so ourselves. Uh, so it is, it is very important to us and our agency that we ask your approval. Yeah, thank you, Mayor and Council. You know, I may add that the radios that we currently have now, they, they actually were not supported after 2019. So from, from 2019 to currently, it is a matter of just finding parts, used parts, or different sources to be able to find those parts. But more significantly, the, the thing to think about is just the operability of the radios. So the radios that we currently have now, they don't always work in, in the hospital. They don't always work in a school. They don't always work in this building. Uh, so the new, the new style radios that are out now are called LTE radios, which gives us the capability of also immediately trans, uh, trans, having transmissions over an LTE, which is the same thing as a cell phone. Um, and, it, and it gives us that ability to be able to have that communication that's needed in hospitals and, and even our big box stores, you know, whether it be Lowe's or Home Depot. Those are the biggest areas that we've had. Now, we've, we've had uh, ISDs actually added repeaters in some of their school districts to help a little bit with that issue, but it still doesn't help with all the other uh, buildings that we have in our city. At the, at the end of the day, it's, they have not been supported since 2019, and so it was an opportunity for us to go and negotiate a better deal to replace all the radios at one time. You know, could you let these radios completely expire over a period of time? The answer to that is yes, you could, but, but it made more sense to negotiate a better deal to replace all those radios at the same time. What, what this will do is it'll give us a stockpile of radios that then we can, then we can use to backfill radios w elsewhere in the city, whether it be the, the water department or wherever else, that, 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 that the need is not as essential as what we're going to have in a, in a police or fire situation. Thanks. All right. Thank, thank you, guys. That, that, that's really, I just wanted to make sure that we, you know, we don't always get to um, be excited about some of the nuts and bolts of uh, your day-to-day -day <laughs> operations, but uh, uh, I think it's um, it's a great it's a great idea that we're finally able to um, get these done. Um, hopefully, uh, you know, going forward, we you know we're we're very proactive about making sure that you know the equipments and the needs uh, for you know two of our um, to the largest departments you know in in the city um, and are met when it's coming to safety. I think that's imperative. So, thank you, guys. All right, I give you guys good news. Not a person up here uh, would, would have objected to and never will object to making sure you all have what you need. So you got some good support up here, buddy. <clears throat> I think you all know that. Thank you very much. But thank you for coming before us anyway. Yeah, I mean, thank, thank you very you're much. You're good. All right. One, one question, Mayor. Go ahead. One question. Go ahead, Larry. Mr. Broshman. Are they all immediately available? Believe it or not, they are. <laughs> but whenever we say immediate, it's well, probably going to be 60 days. Yeah. Uh, okay. So it'll be something, and there's programming programming that goes uh, in 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 line with that as well. You know, one of the things that that I failed to mention is that it gives us the ability to track each handheld radio, so that if we have a police or a fireman out in the field, we oh, know wow. exactly where that radio is at, where that person is at. So that that's a huge deal for us. Currently, we we can track a police car or a fire truck through a system that we currently have. But what this will, this will be a game changer for us to be able to, to track the actual individual. There's so many times that they're way away from their car. So from a safety standpoint, it just adds a, a huge layer of safety there for us. So I really do appreciate you guys considering this. Right. Good shape. All right. Motion, somebody. Motion to approve. Okay. I had a tie there. So Julie, Julie, I'll give it to Julie. And who's going to second it? Brent, you're good? Okay. Newsom will do that. Let the record show. And it carries 7-0. Thank you all very much.
Good job, ladies and gentlemen. All right, before we go to uh, old business and to our public hearing, let's do this. Let me give opportunity for our uh, citizens' comments. It's item five. Citizens wishing to address the council on non-public hearing agenda items and items not on the agenda, you may do so at this time. Due to the regulations of the Texas Open Meetings Act, please do not expect a response from the council. We're not able to do so. This will be your only opportunity to speak unless you're speaking on a scheduled public hearing item. After the close of the citizens' comments portion of the meeting, only comments related to the public's hearing, to public hearings uh, will be heard. All items are limited to five minutes. In order to be recognized during citizens' comments or during a public hearing, uh, applicants included, please complete a blue or a yellow card located at the entrance of the chambers and presented to the Assistant City Secretary seated to my right, your left. And as a reminder, this will be your only opportunity to speak unless you are speaking on a scheduled public hearing item. Council may not respond due to regulations of the Texas Opens Meetings Act. Ms. Marine, do we have any cards, ma'am? Thank you very much. All right. Moving right along to item 10. Old Business 23-5723, resolution of the City Council of the City of Mansfield, Texas, approving a professional service contract between the City of Mansfield, Texas, and uh, Ryan Kyle McGinnis, DBA, Emerald City Production, in an amount not to exceed $422,230.34 for audiovisual equipment rental and production management services in FY24, 25, 26. Presenter. Uh, Ms. Teresa Cohagen and Rosalie Gilbert. Teresa. Yes, we brought this uh, to council at the last meeting. This is essentially a service that we always, or a process that we always go through to uh, uh, procure our AV um, services. And instead of doing that per event, we went ahead and opened up an open bid process for um, the year. Uh, we have a problem, uh, have a tendency to have a problem getting bids because AV services book out so far in advance. So we were able to um, lock in those rates and get those rates established for the entire year. We do have a clause in here that allows us, if an event changes, if we cancel something, that allows us to not have to be um, uh, tied to this, but it allows us to go ahead and get the rates um, for the next three years tied down. Any questions? Thank you very much. On my left, um, oh, go ahead, Mr. Brosh. You're, you're saying for the year, but I, in reading it, I was thinking that we were going three years out. Yes, that total amount is for the three years. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> All righty, on my right. All right. Thank you so very Thank much. Thank you so much. All right. So I will call for a motion at this time. Move to approve. Thank you, Ms. Short. Second. Thank you, Ms. Bounds. All right, questions. Hearing none, please cast your votes. And the item carries 7-0. Thank you all very much. All right, we move to public hearings. Item 23-5748. It's an ordinance, public hearing, and first and final reading of an ordinance approving a proposed Amendment to Section 155.069F of the Mansfield Code of Ordinances, H Historic Landmark Overlay District Regulations, related to emergency repairs of damage to historic landmarks, HLC number 23-010. Mr. Wright. Good afternoon, Mayor, Council Good afternoon, members. Good afternoon, sir. 
This is an amendment to the Historic Preservation Ordinance and the Zoning Ordinance uh, to fill a gap that we currently have. Um, in the last few months, we've actually had two of our landmark buildings uh, struck by a vehicle. In fact, one of them has been hit twice now, um, once in October, once in November. The ordinance doesn't provide for a process for emergency repairs, which usually need to be done kind of in a hurry to fix the damage, make sure no more further damage happens and uh, that nothing happens that might injure the public. So they require rapid action, as I say, to secure the building and then to arrange for permanent repairs. Uh, under the current process, they have to thank those modifications to the Historic Landmark Commission for a public hearing, which can take up the two-month process while they're waiting to get their permits. So this amendment is intended to speed things along. And for an example, this is the Masonic Lodge building at Main Street, right at the corner of Broad and Main. Um, the first accident that happened was a car turned a little short of Main Street and ran into their display window. Um, you can see they secured the building, but then they had to make a repair without review. So it did not go through the uh, landmark process because it would take too long, uh, but it also did not go through the uh, building permit process as well. Uh, the other building that was damaged was the St. Jude Parsonage. And again, a car was driving down Dallas Street and took a turn before they got to Waxahachie and went through the side of the house. Um, this was a state landmark, so the State uh, Historic Landmark Commission uh, took care of this particular problem. Um, but it's an example of the kind of damage that's been happening. Uh, and in fact, the picture on the left is the one that just happened in November, where a car turned again into the uh, Masonic Lodge building where Western hippies are. Oh, so what we're proposing is to create a new section in our preservation ordinance that deals with emergency repairs. It would allow the historic preservation officer, uh, in conjunction with the building official, to authorize a temporary repair. Uh, it could be a tarp, it could be plywood, whatever it needs to secure the building and make sure nothing happens uh, that could injure the public. But then it requires that the property owner go through the proper review process within 14 days. And that would be submitting your application for permanent repairs, which would allow both the commission and staff to review it to make sure it complies with all our codes. Uh, the Historic Landmark Commission could act on it within 30 days because um, it's a rapid repair. We're asking to eliminate the public hearing process, which is rather unnecessary in just restoring your building. Uh, and in fact, the uh, commission could assemble within three days if necessary. So the Planning and Zoning Commission met on December 4th. They voted six to zero to recommend approval. The Historic Landmark Commission uh, met on November 9th and voted seven to zero to recommend approval. And the Department of Planning and Development Services recommends approval and I'm available for any questions. All right, on my right, go ahead, Ms. Bounds. Just one question for you, Art. Um, during this emergency process for getting them repaired, where does the funding come from that? And then is it reimbursed or does it carry on down through back into the normal process of recuperating funds for repairs? Most of the repairs have to be paid for by the uh, property owner, and it usually comes from their insurance. Um, all, we don't charge for any of our services uh, as far as reviewing it for the Landmark Commission or anything like that. We're just checking to make sure it's done correctly. Yeah, that's a problem. All right, anyone else on my right? On my left, y'all good? All right. <clears throat> all right.
Uh, I will uh, open the public hearing at 319. Do we have any cards, ma'am? All right, I'll close the public hearing at 319 p.m. and I'll call for a motion. 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 Second. <laughs> All right, who was that? Miss Short and Newsom. Okay. I knew it was Newsom. He said second. All right, got it. All righty. Hearing no further questions, cash your votes. All right, the motion carries 7-0. Thank you all very much. Before we move to item 12, we do have recognition that um, <clears throat> I'm going to ask our oh, good. I'm going to ask Mr. Lestina to help us to make it this time. Good afternoon, Mayor and Council. Uh, what we'd like to uh, inform you of this afternoon is, is that uh, the city has been awarded the Certificate of Achievement for Excellence in Financial Reporting for its annual comprehensive financial report um, that ended in September 30th night of 2022. Uh, so we're just now closing out the fiscal year 23 process. Uh, the auditors are upstairs uh, working on that. Uh, but we wanted to let you know that we did receive that award. And so uh, if you remember during the budget process, uh, during that time, we said we'd received the budget award 37 years. When you received yes. the other award 36 years, well, this is number 37. All right. Uh, so if I could have Brian and Maria just come up here real quick. Outstanding. So there we go. Right, thank, thank you very you. much. Oh, <laughs> you guys stand up. Maria, at least stand up. At least stand up. All right. Thank you very much. Congratulations. <laughs> All right. Outstanding. All right. Public hearing and first reading, item 23-5763. It's an ordinance. Public hearing and first reading of an ordinance. Proving a change of zoning from a manufactured housing district and a PR pre-development district to planned development uh, district for attached single-family residential and manor house uses on approximately 11.03 acres located at 2600, 2626, 2628 North Main Street, Phillips Equity Capital LLC is the owner and developer, and that's uh, zoning case number 22-018. Mr. Alexander. Thank you, Mayor. Again, this is a request to rezone property to a PD, mm -hmm. Planned Development District. Currently, you see on the screen the property is a combination of PR, Pre-Development District, and MH, Manufactured Home District. Here is an aerial of the property coming off of North Main Street. And just some photographs of the site. And again, the current zoning of the property is MH, Manufactured Home, and PR Pre-Development Districts. And as proposed, development would consist of 102 total units, which will be 46 row houses and 56 manor houses. And this is kind of a layout of the site. And what is unique about the site plan is that everything is accessed from the side or the rear. The other thing that I would call out to your immediate attention is here 
there is a civic space in the form of a muse-type treatment, and that does take inspiration from some of the civic spaces that have been seen in other communities. I will come back to this manor home here in a moment, but the design of the site, again, is one to create a more urban fabric in this area, but doing so in a way that doesn't take away or diminish the predominantly single family residential character in the area. You'll also notice on the streets that there's a lot of parallel parking and I'll leave a little bit of that to the applicant to go into greater detail there. Building frontages are required for all of the dwellings proposed if this is approved. There are three porch and fence, dooryard and stoop. The maximum height for row houses is three stories and the maximum height for manor houses is two. Um, there are three varieties of housing for this development as proposed. There's row house type A and on the basis of parking, it would be a minimum of four parking spaces per dwelling unit. And again, that would be rear alley access. For row houses type B, it will be two spaces, and even though there is front driveway access, the garage is off to the side and it's not visible from the public realm. And then with the manor homes, there will be six spaces. And these are just some elevations that kind of show the architectural inspiration that the developer is proposing. And on this particular photograph here, the reason why I call it out in particular is that if we go back to the site plan real fast, is that that per the PD standards is what that manor home is to look like. And the desire to have that manor home look like that is because of the fact that it will fit in architecturally and visually with some of the larger estate homes that are out there while demonstrating if this is approved that there is the ability to provide missing middle housing in a way that it can coexist with a wide range of detached single family homes on a variety of lot types and sizes. And this is the landscaping plan showing that it is heavily landscaped. There is a water detention area that does take inspiration as well from the same in Alpharetta, Georgia. There is an image that is included in the proposed PD plant development district that follows that exactly. As proposed, this PD plant development district does provide the city with additional residential options along the North Main Street corridor. The proposed development will also provide elevated standards for architecture, landscaping, and other public realm amenities. The development standards as proposed, they do provide a predictable development pattern with appropriately designed and integrated open spaces. I do want to go back and also note here that there is a connection that is proposed to a property generally to the northeast that would allow for it to be developed in a manner that takes inspiration from this and starts to realize a complete neighborhood. The Planning and Zoning Commission met on December 4th, 2023, and they voted six to zero to recommend, of the, recommend approval of the zoning request as presented. The Department of Planning and Development Services recommends approval of the change in zoning request as presented as well. 
Mayor, City Council, if I may, I believe the applicant is here and they have a presentation they would like to share. Yeah, please. <clears throat> Thank you very much. Thank you. And, and as the applicants come, if you will please state uh, your name and your address, we'd appreciate it. Good afternoon, Mayor, Council. My name is South Cole. My address is 6387 Camp Bowie Boulevard. It's a business address in Fort Worth. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Uh, well, I'm here this evening representing Phillips Capital, Equity Capital, uh, and the development of the property at 2600 North Main. And as Mr. Alexander mentioned, it is a site just under, just over 11 acres, currently zoned manufactured home district. And we have proposed a plan development that showcases the mix of housing of row house and manor houses, along with extensive civic space throughout. So, uh, before I go into the details about the site, um, I'd, I'd like to just share a little bit about the story of how we got to where we are, the journey of our earliest inception of what is this project, our, our highest and best use studies, and then where we ended up today uh, with its current state. So a lot of options were explored, uh, including commercial on the frontage, uh, we've looked at maybe as a single family home development or single family attached or an all town home development or even just using the existing buy right zoning and building a mobile park home which was not a preferred option. So over the course of 18 plus months, the development team has been working on this project boiled down to two big motivators of the site and the vision. Now this site, like a lot of properties in Mansfield, has uh, some unique challenges and how we address those challenges um, has, has two parts. Uh, the, the first part is the vision, um, the desire for this development team to create something really special here um, that not only exceeds, ex exceeds existing standards but also provides a needed service and product. And we found that vision most at home in a mixed housing type residential development. Um, so. The other part of that is how these challenges were, were addressed, and I'll get into a little bit more of that when we look at the site plan and kind of discuss some of the issues and, and what happened. So another way of saying the, this the summary of our, our journey has been that I think we've heard the concerns of city council, of city management, that there's a strong need for missing middle, missing middle housing, and that you want your teachers, police officers, nurses, to be able to live in Mansfield. The people that pour into and serve Mansfield, you want those people to be able to stay in Mansfield when they go home in the evening. And we're interested in providing a development that is for the people who work in Mansfield. And that was our, that was our vision that we grasped onto as a place for this missing middle housing solution. So also, I just wanna mention that um, I, I think there is a very distinct vision that is being encouraged here in Mansfield, is evident through working with staff uh, in your city over the past two and a half years on this project and on other projects. And um, if I could sum it up, I'd say that it is one of an uncompromising pursuit of really innovative planning development services and really high standards that uh, for, for a developer, for a project manager, for a planner, it's not easy, but it's good. And really do believe that that effort's paying off and 
would love to be an example of what that's going to look like in Mansfield. So that leads to what you're seeing here on the screen. Some of the first places we looked for housing typology uh, and design standards were uh, the, the row house and manor houses format with elevated architectural standards that ensure just a really high quality product. And just as important, it's all happening within the context of a very high quality site. So in these images, you see examples of some of the required architectural features such as the stoop and the row house or a porch and fence frontage in the manor house. You see second floor balconies, you see architectural canopies and well-detailed and proportional roof lines. And then you also see the image of the water feature that, that Mr. Alexander referred to earlier. This could have easily just been a water retention area, just a dry ditch of grassy area, but we wanted to enhance this element as a feature and We've, we've chosen to do that with circulating water and substantial landscape and walkways that tour pedestrian throughout a curated space. So as we looked at street, sec street sections and site circulation, we looked at existing developments that have had a positive influence in Mansfield that, again, planning staff has pointed us towards. And some of those primary sources of inspiration were Norton Commons in Prospect and Trillith in Fayetteville, Georgia. We addressed how pedestrians interact not only with the site, its parks and its civic space, the landscaping, the water feature, but also with the building architecture, its scale and proportions, the distance from the facade to the sidewalk, and the sidewalk to the street, and then the landscaping throughout. The standards include very intentional language that ensures a healthy street wall where pedestrians are engaged by the built environment while at the same time not overwhelmed with an excessive or incongruent density. Language has been incorporated into the standards that establishes the ideal specifications for each of these elements, from the dry vial widths to the differing, differing textures of paving, and then from the variety and, and location of trees to the type of active and passive civic space throughout the site. So I'm going to jump forward a few slides, and you'll notice there are a few slides that we can come back to in case anyone has any questions specifically about the row house units, the organization on the site, uh, but I know you all have a super long city council meeting today, so I'm going to jump into some of the details of the site, and please feel free to come back with any questions afterwards. Take your time. Thank you. So as we move into the specifics about the site, for context, I'd like to describe a few of the major challenges that I alluded to earlier. Uh, first, if I can do this. We have a large 130-foot-wide Tarrant Regional Water District easement that cuts off about an acre in the southwest corner of the site. And then second, we have some very awkward dimensions on site. This east-west dimension is about 1,400 feet, and the north-south dimension is about 380 feet here, and then it drops down to 300 feet, and then again to 300, I'm sorry, again to 160 feet, where it hits the textile frontage. And where it hits the TxDOT road, which is a, a North Main, which is Business 287, uh, managed by TxDOT, our, our space there is constricted even more because of some of the improvements required by connecting to a TxDOT uh, road that will have some additional frontage expansions and entrance to the site um, that has to be expanded. So that squeezed this, this space on the west boundary even further. So, I say all that. Uh, oh, one more thing. 
we, we did add, uh, we're going to have to add offsite sewer to the site. And that is, is a necessity because there, there is currently no sewer serving the site. And um, if I can find my notes here, yep. So the offsite sewer line that we bring to our site is what allows for the residential development that Mr. Alexander mentioned earlier up in the northeast to have service. That's currently a, a planned uh, development of about 25 acres that just hasn't been able to get off the ground because it doesn't have utilities. And then in addition to all of the sewer coming into our site and the site to the northeast, we will also be allowing access to sewer, if it, there it is showing up, this, this line goes about three quarters of a mile down to the sewer main that it connects to and all the properties adjacent to that line and of course adjacent to our site will have sewer service as well. So uh, back to the, the site challenges that these ended up being very important to our solution for the site, uh, not just affecting the general layout and building forms, but also the use. So you may remember that I mentioned we looked at commercial and though we really would have liked to work with this use, there was just no physical way to make use of commercial frontage where we have such limited access at this point and then the entirety of the rest of the site to make use of afterwards. And so the site challenges alone were enough to affect both design and economics in such a way that the residential use was really the only feasible solution for the site. So I think what I'll do is I will click back if I can, nope, click forward and erase these. All right, and speak to the civic space. So civic space is provided throughout the site in an elevated quantity, not just quality, we believe, but it's using, uh, using a standard park land dedication requirement as a simple metric for comparison. These diagrams can give us a sense of some of the context for how much civic space is provided on this site, just as a percentage. And so if you can see, well, the image on the left is, is what would be considered the, the standard, even though it looks like some of this got cut off in the translation. This is, that, that would be the minimum acreage per unit uh, count and then corresponding percentage. And then the image to the right is showing what we're providing on our site in terms of civic space. So the civic space is located throughout the site in both passive and active formats. Also inspired by the developments mentioned earlier, Norton Commons particularly. You'll see enlarged site plans of these areas to the left and then corresponding renderings and aerial views to the right. These include active park space here, which is at the northeast corner of the site, and there are corresponding images here, and the active courtyard area, or muse in the central uh, north-south orientation in the middle of the site. And then there's passive civic space in areas including walkways, pathways, and side, uh, sidewalks, elevated landscape all throughout the site that connects the site to the frontage on North Main and then the future uh, residential developments to the Northeast. And then there is the water feature with walkways surrounding that space and enhanced landscape and hardscape throughout there. 
So uh, in closing, I'd, I'd just like to summarize our, our view of the context um, that this, this is a project that, that planning staff has poured into a whole, whole lot, this particular project. And we've worked together for over a year to bring this project from an average townhome site to a really high quality, much needed mixed, use and develop, mixed housing development that is well aligned with the vision of the city and also kickstarts the application of the future land use plan. So we see th three decisions for this site, three options for this site. One, the land just remains undeveloped and unsightly. Or second, someone else comes in and tries to pursue a mobile home development for which it's owned by right. Or third, with your vote, we think is the best option, we develop this site with a proposed PD ordinance, we redeem a really tough site that needs some serious attention, and we count a big win for the city of Mansfield by delivering some much needed missing middle housing. So thank you so much for your time and consideration. I'd love to answer any questions you have. All right, Mr. Cole, thank you very much. Appreciate uh, your presentation. You can remain there. Let me ask my colleagues on my left. Colleagues, do you have any questions? Y'all good? Okay, that'll work, all right. Any other questions for Mr. Cole? I'll bring Mr. Alexander up uh, shortly. No, but I do have some comments to make. Please, go ahead, ma'am. Go ahead? Yes, ma'am. Um, I live over in that area, so I see a lot of what's being developed there. There is no commercial along there, unless you want to count the feed store area or the Dollar General that's there and random little warehouses. And then as you go up, there's all the tire and, and automotive areas. I have a major concern. I think it's a great idea, and I think you've done well with all that. But I think that there are several components missing that makes this, for me, what I'm looking at in neighborhood designs. Where are the people going to walk to other than the park? Um, they will be coming out into that area and traveling down Main Street. Um, and then Turner Warnell is just to the north of there. Turner Warnell is a major traffic hot mess, I'll just say. And um, there's no um, on the horizon at this moment uh, ideas to widen that road. And I sit in traffic there all the time. So to have the people have a place to go and walk to would be awesome with taking some of that traffic off. And when I think about for where they are to walk to, I think of our neighborhood designs that we have even looked at up north there in another track of land that would have like a little neighborhood cafe or a little neighborhood coffee shop. Uh, or there would be areas for other neighborhood services, like a little postal area or place to go, you know, pay their bills or anything like that. So while I applaud that you've taken some effort in this to, to think out of the box, because I know what's over there and it's not real pretty, I just don't, for me, think it's done yet, still needs some work on it, and or maybe not the right time. So I, I will not be in favor of it for the way that it presents today. And I just wanted to be transparent with you and let you know. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Lewis. Thanks, sir. Um, I don't necessarily agree with 
or disagree with what Councilwoman Bounds just said. Um, and, and the the concern that I have is where do they walk to the thing? Development plan, site plan, all of that is fantastic, but it's just putting more housing in an area that's going to get in their cars and drive when they need to go to the grocery store shop, coffee shop, whatever. Uh, they do in an area that we don't have a lot of control over the infrastructure that supports it all, and the infrastructure that is there is City of Arlington that is behind in trying to be able to support all of that. Um, that said, it's land that has zoning entitlement on it today that we don't like. Um, has And Mr. Alexander, you can speak to this. On the m existing zoning that's there, how many mobile home units can fit on this site? If you, if you as the applicant don't know, Mr. Alexander may have that, but feel free if, if you have it. So yeah, our, our earlier test fits yielded about 103 units. Of 103 mobile, homes. mobile home units. Yeah, 103. So, and, and that was that was from early studies that, I mean, we could probably squeeze more on there, but yeah. again, we, that was wasn't something we really wanted. You to weren't pursue. looking to maximize yield right. or do it. Um, somebody that would, and and I speak. There's a there's a mobile home park in South Arlington on Matlock, just right outside of our city limits. That their whole purpose was to maximize yield. They came in and they took out what was there and then packed in double what was there. And of course, all of those people now shop at our Kroger at Matlock and Debbie um, and, and compound that. So I think anybody that's watching along lives in this area, recognize that the zoning entitlement today allows for at least 103 or could be more housing units. And so the concern that I have still exists, there's zoning that allows housing units in an area that's not walkable, that doesn't have anywhere to go. and so. Um, I'd like to find some balance between the existing entitlement and a planned development that, that could work. Um, I think site plan wise you've done, uh, I like the road network and the interconnectivity. Um, I was actually coming in today concerned with uh, how the row homes on the south side would look with the front entry or the front drive but the garage at the back. The example you showed looked great. Um, I would want to, I'll dig in with you or Mr. Alexander on what the architectural variety looks like between all of the different units. Um, but I do think that there's opportunity in here for maybe some single family, not just all townhome. It's nice for us to talk missing middle, but then to have a whole neighborhood that's only missing middle, then now that's not missing, <laughs> there's, now what's missing is the single detached or, or variety. So um, I think that there's opportunity for us to work through that, if you guys are open to um, maybe some of the, the center areas uh, in that central row home area where it becomes like single family detached with uh, alley loaded detached garage or something like that. There's some really good examples in St. Charles, in Newtown, in St. Charles, Missouri, uh, of that type of product um, and introduce that. On the Looking at the site plan and just knowing the location, I, I was opposed, but also knowing that what you've presented is significantly better than what, what could be and the problem that exists is still there. I'd, I'd much prefer to work with you and find a solution between this reading, second reading, and going through. Um, and if that process stretches out, it does to get the right, the right plan. Um, I'd rather go that route than leave it unzoned or zoned in, in the current set. You're, I see you nodding your head, so it sounds like you're 
open to working to try and make something happen as long as the economics still work, right? Yes, it, and there, there are a lot of options of how this whole area gets developed, not just our site. The 25 acres to the northeast uh, was originally platted for single-family homes. I, I want to say there's 49 lots. Um, but again, that one couldn't get developed because the sewer services weren't there. So to, that may answer some of that. Again, I'm not, I'm not saying we can't modify as needed here, but that answers some of the single family. So there's you know, a portion, this is only 11 acres, there's a portion that's the, this mixed housing, and then that single family also become part of the mixed housing. Um, yeah, that, that, but knowing what, when that was zoned, I know what type of housing that looks like. This could be smaller scale, single family detached, okay. which is okay, also a missing piece in the Mansfield inventory. Okay. Um, so maybe this, uh, this western section where it has, uh, what is that, eight, 16 units, four buildings of, of row homes, maybe that gets configured in a way that is smaller single family homes okay. that have some variety, and then you still have your row homes. I'm just trying to think through What's missing and how can I st get through stomaching? Ultimately, I don't love just because it's, it's housing in an area where I can't get all of the, the roadway infrastructure and there's people there. But if I can get closer to being able to stomach something, I know our, our community would love us to just say, leave it raw dirt or right. make it all single family. And I don't think either of those are economically viable or bet what's best for the city. So trying to find some common ground and middle between that. So hopefully we can get there. Thanks. All right. All right. Um, before I bring Mr. Alexander up, anyone else have a word for Mr. Cole? Go ahead, ma'am. Go ahead, Ms. Short. Quick question. Um, are these for sale, all, all of them, or just the manor houses, rent and row houses for sale? Good, good question. We've looked at it both ways. So the manor houses could be condoed out, and they, they would typically have four units, and they, they could be condoed out or they could be rented. In our performance, those tended to be rental units while the townhomes were for sale, so they're all uh, individually platted lots, uh, fee simple lots that would be for sale. Um, so we, we've looked at sort of all the different scenarios. Well, and I know that an HOA was mentioned. Um, yes. Would, would the HOA be responsible for all of the exteriors? Uh, no, not necessarily. Uh, the HOA would be uh, for common, common areas, the exteriors would be maintained by the individual homeowners on, the, on those fee simple lots. Okay, and then in your talks with TxDOT, was there a concern about the amount of traffic this added? So, a great question, I'm glad you brought that up. So we had an extensive uh, journey with TxDOT working on this, this uh, entrance and egress location. There was not a major concern for uh, additional traffic just because it's a, it's a blip on the radar for what they see on this business 287, though uh, they are still requiring substantial improvements. So the improvements that you see here on site are only a portion of the improvements required for this development to move forward for TxDOT, and so that would involve widening of 287 there, or North Main there. And so that just, I mean, it kind of goes back to uh, Councilman Lewis' point about the, the roads and, and Councilman's Bounds comment about the roads and traffic, this development would require improvements on TxDOT that would be a, a part of the conversation of, of this moving forward ultimately with the plat. So those improvements, would they help 
these residents get out of the neighborhoods safer than than it looks like it would be at this point. Absolutely, absolutely. Right now, it's a it's basically a dirt road on a on a uh, I guess a, a slightly better asphalt road. Okay. So yeah. And then the the way this interacts with the neighbors, I know we had received um, some concerns from the neighbors. I believe that's to the east, or maybe that's north. Uh, to the, the east. east. To the, to the east. east. Yes, yes ma'am. Um, how how far away would this would the first manor houses there be from the existing homes? The existing homes on those properties to the east are quite a distance. I'm, if I can use this site as a as a measurement, it's at least half of this site length away. Uh, the those are those are in largest sort of estate acreage. So the distance from the manor house to the next <clears throat> residence to the east is hundreds of feet. Yeah, I think Mr. Alexander is going to pull that up. Okay. Yeah, just measuring it by eyeball using the map that we have in the packet, it looks to be at least 500 feet away at a minimum. Okay. And then I, I don't know which person I need to ask about. I noticed that the ceiling heights for the first floor are all nine foot. Is that also required on the second floor as well? No, not at all. It, it should be 10 feet, uh, it, and that's not, that's not a requirement. That's, that's, it's a, I think it would be a market standard that it would be at least 10 feet. 10 feet. Okay. Does that also include the plate line? I know that's different than ceiling height. I just know it, uh, for the appearance of the exterior, the plate line matters. Um, you know, I can't speak to that, but if, if there are aesthetics that, uh, that ties into, I know Mr. Alexander will help us get it right. <laughs> yes, ma'am. If that is a desire, we can certainly tie that to the plate height. Okay. And then also for the 10% minimum for the openings on the, on the, that seems low, you know, I, and maybe that's standard and I just have never realized that it's only 10% for windows uh, along the side, but it just, that seems low. I know it was 50% maximum, so I'm, I'm hoping you wouldn't shoot for the minimum on those, but. No, we can definitely increase that. That sounds, that sounds low to me as well. Okay. I think that's all I have for now. Thank right. you. Okay, you good? All right, go ahead, Mr. Tenor. It just seems to me like we got a lot of uh, work still to be done. Does it make sense to make a motion to table this versus voting on it? You, I, I'd you, like to you, make a motion to table. Okay. All right. Got a motion on the floor. I will second the motion, but I, I don't know if there's sufficient direction for them to take from this point to, to continue um, so that they can continue working on it. I mean, what, what are we asking them specifically to accomplish between now and the time that they come back? Go ahead, Mr. Sonora. Well, I would just hate to deny it uh, and then give them one reading to, to get it approved or denied. So you would like for them to like go back? they got a lot of work to do here. I'm sorry, Mr. Sonora. You would like for them to go back and work with staff on some of the suggestions <clears throat> that they've heard, um, suggestions that they've heard from Mr. Lewis, also to clarify what they've heard from Ms. Short. Uh, am I correct in that? Exactly. I don't think they're far off uh, based on the current land use and, and what could go there. 
So I'd like to give them at least two opportunities to get it right. If we vote on it and today and deny it, you're going to get one more opportunity. Right. So, okay. you know. All right. So I think we're doing, a, doing them a favor if we do table it. But I would second. I'd okay. Yeah, Motion on the floor in a second. Right. Go ahead. Question. No, go ahead, Ms. Lewis, if no, you have I, a word. I think Mr. Alexander. Sir. Sorry. Do you, do you have things that you can work with to maybe come back here in a month and have a better Yes, proposal. sir. And, and I think we've received significant direction and guidance from City Council based on the comments. And we can certainly go back with the developer and address those and bring those back to City Council for consideration. Okay, thank you. Excuse me. Before, before we uh, seek a vote on this, let me uh, confer with our attorney. Um, Brad, I've got... Um, I do have a couple of speakers, well, not speakers. I do have a card here for the public hearing, mm -hmm. uh, as well as I've got two now. And I have one that came by way of email where you advise us on moving forward from this point, please. Yeah, Mayor, as you know, typically in the practice, we would, we would table a public hearing and come back to it at a, at a future date. No harm, right? We would give notice and it would be fine. Uh, knowing that those are those people are present would like to speak um, to the extent you find it economical for time purposes it wouldn't be bad to give them I think it'd be could be worthwhile to give them the opportunity to speak at the same time they would have a notice of the next hearing as well uh, but certainly they've already made the the effort to be here if if it seems reasonable and economical for the purposes of your meeting it'd be be a good idea to give them the opportunity to speak tonight it does um, seem reasonable I, I would hate to have people come down <laughs> and not give them the opportunity to speak. It would not, well, we've got this posted tonight. Where are those persons in the room, as a matter of fact? Okay, one, and I saw another card as well that has come forward. Okay, two. All right, well, we want to give you the opportunity to speak. You would like to speak, wouldn't you? Sure, you wouldn't want to come way down here and not speak, huh? Okay, May all right. We, Mayor, we'll work together. We'll work it out. It wouldn't bother me if you were to take this vote and then open the public hearing uh, okay. and, and take the comments at that time. All right, so we'll do that. We'll still hear from you. So we're going to vote on, on uh, tabling it, and then after which I'll call for you all to come forth, okay? All right. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you all. You may cast your votes at this time regarding tabling. And the motion carries 7-0. Thank you very much. All right. So I will still uh, open the public hearing at uh, 3.58 uh, p.m. And I'll ask um, Tony. You will come first. And Tony, I don't want to mess up your last name. So you'll come and you'll state your name and address and we'll hear from you. And thank you all so much for being patient. I'm Tony Comiskey. Yes. I live at the property directly behind um, where this is going to be, the, the proposed development is at 2601 Nelson Wyatt Road. Yes, ma'am. I live on eight acres. Um, and I feel like different people seeing things very differently. And I feel like that's kind of where I think I am in junction as to what is said. 
I do not feel like the new neighborhood would have walkability or connectivity. Um, I am a little bit of a city council nerd in that I like to read what's online. So I have read the old guide from the, uh, 2012. I've gone through the new guide. Um, I was at the State of the Mansfield meeting. And so when I look at everything and when I hear everything, it all sounds great. It all sounds great. What the gentleman wants to do on that site sounds great. But it's not an island in and of itself. And Business 287, we can call it North Main, but it feels like Business 287 up there. There's more traffic. There's no place for kids to walk. There's no way to get across the street to go over to Gertie Barrett to the park. There's no light. There's no way for them to get to Nancy Neal to go play there if they want to or to that park that's on Killian. There's no sidewalks. There doesn't, is my understanding, there doesn't plan on being any sidewalks. You cut through the, the development, from that development to the one beside me to, to connect to Nelson Wyatt. Well, when you hit Nelson Wyatt, there's no sidewalks. There's still no connectivity. If the kids walk, they have to get in the ditch if a car comes by. So I, it feels like it's just a crummy place to put homes. <laughs> you know, um, those kids, you know, we know kids. They're going to run across Business 287. They are. They're going to go over there to another friend. They're going to go over there to go to the park. They're going to go over there because they want to walk to school because they're embarrassed to take the bus. They're going to do what they want to do, and their parents may or may not be okay with it, but we know how that age group, when they hit about 12, how they roll. So I look at it from the perspective of the future homeowners really more so than myself. I feel like I don't understand in any world. It all seems like that small business out there. It is like, where would they go to cup of coffee? We have a Dollar General on the other side of Business 287. It's just, I don't know, it seems like it would be small business. That you could talk mobile homes, you could talk anything, but it is the same scenario for those families. It doesn't get improved unless you just want them to go play in that neighborhood next door that's getting built, but it doesn't provide anything else to me. Now, and I do appreciate what, the, what was said because it is, it's an area that needs something, but it doesn't seem like people need to live on Business 287. But I know that's not my decision to make. The other part is the missing in the middle. I have a whole different understanding of what missing in the middle is. And I'm just going to read a little bit of what it said in the guideline books. It says, the, the, to integrate the missing middle into existing neighborhoods is a way to promote incremental and compatible change rather than disruptive transformation. I'm going to stop there and say it's not incremental to where I live, and I live right behind it. I live in an estate home on an acres. My neighbors do. It's not incremental what's going there. It doesn't appear. The other things it goes on to say is missing middle products are also a good transition between land uses or land uses of higher to lower scale. So when I read the guidelines and thought, you know, it was like, okay, you have maybe townhomes, you have apartments, you have single family homes, you maybe have more coffee shop or whatever, and you have higher end single family homes. It doesn't seem like that it's just within ourselves we took care of mixed, you know, the middle. 
But right behind you, you just totally ignored it to all the homes that are on Nelson Wyatt. So that's probably pretty much it in a nutshell, short of what was said by everyone else. I, I want it to be really clear. I care about the people that are going to move in those homes. This is not, part of it's about me, but mostly I cannot fathom anyone moving in there and a year later think, wow, this was a really good idea to come in and out of, uh, on business 287. The other thing. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ms. Kaminsky. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> All right, Mr. John Harris. Hey, thanks for the opportunity to talk. Um, get to meet my new neighbor, Tony, here pretty soon. Uh, I'm kind of late to the game for the whole thing. I just closed on 2571 State Nelson your Wyatt. name, Mr. Harris. Yeah, I'm sorry. Name John and address. Harris. All right. You've got yeah. five minutes. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, thank you. I just closed on 2571 Nelson Wyatt, which is, I guess, shaped kind of like that, will be adjacent to the property about two or three weeks ago. And so it's really been quickly, I've had to kind of figure out what's going on at a rapid pace. Um, and so this was a bit of a surprise to me, kind of what was going on, because when we purchased the property, this was not what we were anticipating on the back end of it. I've got five kids, and we saw five acres looking like this, and we're excited about it, and this is going to be a dramatic change from what we uh, purchased. So she said a lot of what I really was going to talk about, uh, the middle, missing middle. Um, I didn't remember to put that on there, so I appreciate you saying that, Tony, but some things I'd like to note, you know, if you look at the 2040 vision plan, uh, under Neighborhood Housing Goal 3, uh, Part A, you know, the strategies promote the inclusion of and access to pedestrian connections within and between neighborhoods using right-of-ways, mid-block connections, and trails, and areas with equal or greater emphasis on pedestrian mobility may see reduced vehicular trips to local amenities and shared spaces, reduced uh, reductions in tr local traffic counts, and increased walkability lend themselves towards more livable neighborhood conditions. Well, like she said, both 287 Business and Nelson Wyatt, which is the back end, I guess, whatever you call it, the egress road, I don't know what the proper term is for that, that way there. Um, they are not that. They're not going to provide for that. And in particular, Nelson Wyatt is a true two-lane country road with just ditches. And so um, that's not going to provide for any walkability whatsoever. So that just won't meet that to start with. If you go further down in the guide, uh, under the mixed use uh, MU.1, uh, under support vibrant intensity strategy, which would be MU.1A, it says integrate higher intensity residential uses within mixed use settings at intentional locations within the city. The success of mixed use development in part relies on the presence of residential development either integrated with or in a walkable proximity to the mixed use core. Um, additionally, the intensity of higher density, so that'd be higher density residential development, uh, may not be appropriate citywide. And I think this is noteworthy. Existing neighborhoods may not be able to support d denser residential development due to a lack of infrastructure and desire from local residents. So I think those are noteworthy things um, right there. Um, furthermore, in strategy MU.1B, uh, ensure mixed-use development provides residents and visitors with active lifestyle options, including pedestrian-oriented urban design. Again, I know these things are probably a little bit closer to downtown if you wanted to um, really talk more about it. Um, 
but I don't think these are applicable. Furthermore, down the text it says mixed-use applications should be comprehensive in their approach to establish walkable, attractive environments, which I don't see plans for. Also, under supporting actions, it says ensure mixed-use developments offer amenities to both residents and general public, such as plazas, blah, 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 which should not happen at that location. General, I don't think it should happen at that location. We're not wanting to activate open spaces, commercial establishments at that location. And then finally, under the retail and employment on page 57 under strategy RE.1B, uh, it talks about the uh, impacts of high-intensity users, that they don't burden Mansfield's existing or future residents. While aiming to expand Mansfield's market share uh, has upsides regarding tax revenue and employment generation, here's the important part. It is essential that growth not come at the expense of Mansfield's quality of life and residents. High-intensity land uses, which again, I know this is not high, but it's higher, uh, come with challenges, including traffic generation, construction impacts, and reshaping the built environment. The city and development community must ensure that steps are taken to mitigate any adverse impacts on local residents as much as possible. Um, I think also, and I, I wasn't here when they talked all about it, I think if you do go forward with the project, I think having a minimum of a brick and mortar, some sort of a masonry buffer between the properties, I think would be pretty critical in this situation, just as a kind of a a side note. So, in general, I'm not against growth at all. Uh, we've been in Mansfield uh, off and on for almost, we're getting our seventh year now. I've uh, seen it grow since we've been here. Uh, but if you drive out to this area and you see, the, see this land, I think you'd see this doesn't fit with what you're looking at. And if you were to come out here and envision yourself buying this five acres or seeing Miss Comiskey's eight, it doesn't fit with what you're looking at or what you're talking about uh, seeing being proposed. So I think it will have adverse effects on existing residents, as stated above, and I think it will and does go against the desires of the residents. Thank you, Ms. So, Harris. Thanks. All right. All right, thank you very much. All right, we will move uh, at this time to... Uh, yes, ma'am, I'm sorry. We, yes, we will continue... Yeah, the public hearing what time at 4.09 p.m. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. All right. All right, we'll move to item 23-5786, public hearing first reading on an ordinance approving a change of zoning from a PR pre-development district to PD plan development district for a single-family attached townhome development on approximately 7.8 uh, six, nine acres generally along South Mitchell Road and River Birch Drive property addressed at 1000 South Mitchell Road. Uriel uh, Carrillo, uh, applicant, zoning case number 23-006. Mr. Alexander. Thank you, Mayor. Yes, sir. This is a request for a change in zoning from PR Pre-Development District to PD Plant Development District. This image shows the existing zoning, and this image shows an aerial that it is somewhat in between South Point PD Plan Development District and the Reserve PD Plan Development District. And here is a photograph of the site and another. And here is the site plan for the site. One of the things that I would immediately bring to your attention is this area right here. The inspiration for this area was taken from Norton Commons and some of the homes that actually fronted civic space, and the civic space then fronted a thoroughfare. 
here it is the same notion that you have that thoroughfare being framed by civic space and then the homes framing that. And that kind of helps provide the inspiration for the entire site. The other thing that I would draw your attention to is right here and that right-of-way has been set aside potentially for a connection to the west for future development, but in the interim, this could function as a muse. And not only could it function as a muse, but if decided that that remains there permanently, that there is still that opportunity for a connection to the west that could then become a one-way street around those dwelling. So there is some opportunity there for how that connection is provided to the West. And again, that kind of helps set up everything. All of the dwellings as proposed are within 800 feet of a civic space. And again, just going into that a little bit more and then the color coding there, it does show the diversity in the architectural styles for the homes as proposed. And again, this is a request to rezone. It does sit on a little shy of 7.9 acres. All of the parking for all of the dwellings are accessed via alleys in the rear. The building frontages are limited to stoops, porches, and door yards. And the landscape analysis is in front of you and you see that the thoroughfares are all lined with trees and with sidewalks, and then you can see some of the private landscaping for the dwellings. Here are some of the elevations for the proposed row houses, and there was some conversation at the Planning and Zoning Commission meeting in regards to them, and we want to make sure that they do read, for the most part, visually as row houses, there was a little bit of concern about potentially them reading visually as multifamily. However, there are standards that are proposed within the PD plan development district that would allow for the developer to continue to work with the Department of Planning and Development Services on getting elevations that are more in line with the standards therein and with the desired row house look. However, I do want to point out that even in the images, you see really good examples of door yards at the ground floor. And some of the inspiration for the row house topologies include this from downtown Dallas. Uh, this just to the west of downtown Fort Worth. And then Sarah B there in terms of having some of the dwellings that would actually have two frontages that would allow it to engage two streets. In terms of land use of proposed development, it is appropriate and it does introduce building frontages, civic and open spaces that are not only consistent with the vision behind the reserve and the South Point PD plant development districts, but it also supports pedestrian and motorist connections while addressing future development possibilities to the West. From an urban design perspective, since the building height and building frontages, some of the proposed elevations are not entirely consistent with the vision for the area, but the standards that are provided in there can ensure that once they are submitted for review and approval, if this request is approved, that they will be. So there were some conditions that were recommended by the Planning and Zoning Commission 
to those points and that in the event of a conflict between these PD plan development district standards and any of the illustrations, photographs, and other exhibits, including the site plan, that are attached there too and that are specified elsewhere in the text. The standards that are set forth herein in the text shall prevail. So essentially meaning that the stronger of the standards that is in text or writing format would govern. The other thing is to future proof the proposed PD plan development district regulations and that the permitted uses section dealing with home occupation limited to professional services just be home occupation so that way as amendments are made to the zoning ordinance the pd would remain future proved and then following that and last but certainly not least at the appeals process for the pd for the pd plant development district that have followed the existing considerations for the procedure set forth in section 155.066 meaning that if there is an appeals to the PD that it come to city council first. Those additions have been reflected in the proposed text that is in front of you this afternoon, city council. And the planning and zoning commission did meet on November 6th. They did vote seven to zero to recommend approval with those additional considerations. The Department of Planning and Development Services recommends the same. I believe the applicant is here and has a presentation as well, Mayor, if I may. Yes, sir. Applicant comes. Please state your name, sir. Good evening, Mayor, the Council members. My name is Justin Gilmore with Level 5 Architecture. Our address is 737 North Highway 287, Suite 203. I appreciate the opportunity to come speak with you tonight, um, really regarding this project. The applicant, I think, is uh, Yorio Carrillo, is one of our staff members at our office, but unfortunately you get me tonight. Um, but we are here to just really look at this specific project. Um, really what we're looking at here is, is a piece of property, and okay, here's the clicker to go forward. A uh, piece of property that's an L-shaped, it's, it's really what I would consider an uh, infill piece of property. It's just under eight acres. Uh, almost at the corner of River Birch Drive and uh, North Mitchell Drive. To the east is the Ladera 2 project. To the south is unincorporated areas, uh, or not, it's incorporated areas, but undeveloped area. And to the north is the uh, Mitchell Farms single family project that's uh, under construction right now, or the houses are actually under construction, the development's been done. And then to the west is a future use that we're not really sure of just yet. Um, we know that it's going to be a larger commercial mixed use, but really what that whole commercial mixed use fronts is 287, Highway 287 as it comes from the uh, south to the north. So this L-shaped piece of property being really an infill lot in between really three different sides of fully developed areas uh, presented a little bit of challenges when we went, first went into this looking at this piece of property for the developer. And ultimately, this is what we came up with, um, really looking at this, and, and it's been about two years worth of coming up with this process and really working with staff to refine it each iteration. And a few of the things just to be aware of, and, and I think uh, Mr. Alexander did a great job of trying to uh, highlight some of those. Uh oh go back. Um, Again, we have a lot of the mews that are in the existing uh, piece of property here. The larger one that we was talking about on this section that is going to be um, a platted as a right-of-way, 
um, that gives it that access to whatever that future use may be back to the west and that really that connectivity whether it's pedestrian connectivity or vehicular connectivity we're trying to be able to, to just assimilate this property into that full development and create that natural flow and that natural step down. You've got a major thoroughfare on our highway on 287. A lot of your frontage on your commercial would be high density along 287. And as it starts moving back towards the east, those densities tend to start stepping down. And as we mentioned, further to the east on the other side of South Mitchell Road um, is the Ladera 2, which is the smaller garden style homes. And then it continues on into the reserve and into South Point, which are a little bit larger single family homes. So this is really what we're looking at here as far as that, that step down transition goes and looking at some of our transitions. Another thing I wanna bring attention to um, are the driveways that you see here and these major driveways that come into this property. There's really only two, right? One of them lines up to the north, which is, uh, uh, is in a, a direct, um, a, a, directly across the street from the entrance to the Mitchell Farms neighborhood. So that connectivity is there for pedestrian and vehicular traffic to be able to connect to the two different neighborhoods. But these drive lanes are actually only 12 feet wide, uh, 11 to 12 feet wide. And the reason being, again, we're trying to narrow down these roads here. If it is a connection and a connectivity, we don't people want, want people speeding through this neighborhood to connect back to something else. Narrowing these driveways down really helps reduce that flow of traffic uh, as well as speed. There is also zero parking along these major thoroughfares except for the small section that you see in front of the park area down here. So again, that reduces the traffic, reduces the speeds on these roads. The one thing to keep in mind is these are still 50-foot platted right-of-way. So you still have your 10-foot utilities, your sidewalks. What you end up gaining out of that by reducing the streetways is larger landscaped areas, larger pedestrian activity areas that are buffered from the, the traffic along the vehicular streets. One other thing I do want to mention is the park area that we have here. Uh, this is a very large park. I didn't put it on representation there because I don't want everybody to think that we're actually putting a full soccer pitch in here, but this land area is large enough for a full soccer pitch. And why am I mentioning that? Because this is a representation of an area that people can actually utilize. It's a larger open area, landscaped area, very lush landscaped area that people can actually utilize. It also frames this main entrance coming off of South Mitchell Road and sets the tone for the neighborhood. Mr. Alexander mentioned all of the thoroughfares that you see in the widened um, civic spaces along that entrance from South Mitchell Road, but that just frames that whole area as it leads right down to that large open park. What we're trying to produce here, being at the intersection of these two roads with that park, is that connectivity and people getting outside their homes and outside their residences for the community itself. This area also serves as our retention area, okay? It is not an area that's gonna be sunken down low. We're actually utilizing this area for all underground detention, which is again, a little bit different than what you typically see in most areas. We're not trying to create a large pond that is, is basically a, I'm not gonna call it waste of land, but uh, it does provide some sort of feature but this area is actually able to use as a large open park and we're utilizing it underground for all of our detention. So those are the few areas that I wanted to point and highlight out on this area, uh, on this uh, site map. Also the buildings, you see all the color coding. Uh, again, as Mr. Alexander that mentioned, that represents all of the different non um, um, monotony 
uh, anti-monotony for the um, site plan. So each building will be a little bit architecturally different, and we'll talk about the architectural elevations here in just a second. To the right, you see some enlarged plans. Um, what these are representing, again, are those door stoops, door yards, and then also as you are doing these corner units, which all of our buildings have a lot of corner units throughout the property. Those will be two-sided so that those exterior elevations are turning those corners, those porches are turning the corners, as well as the balconies to provide that engagement onto these thoroughfares and to the rear alleys. Mentioning the rear alleys, uh, all of these units will be alley loaded. Uh, they will all have tuck under garages. So we'll have two to three stories on all of these um, units themselves because of the garages that will be two car garages on ground level. You also see the bottom right hand corner detail number four uh, showing some dimensions there. These are all the aprons that are backing up to those two car garages. Essentially, each one of these units will have four parking spaces, two inside the garage and then two on the stacked aprons back behind the garages. Thus, the reason we don't have a lot of on-street parking or parking lots on this piece of property. We do feel that there's ample parking for each one of the units. The only on-street parking or additional parking we have provided is there at that park area itself. And then I'm going to move to the exterior elevations. Um, it, it's been discussed and, and talked about. Um, we've looked at these, but really what I wanted to do in submitting these uh, exterior elevations was just give a representation of the anti-monotony that we're looking at, not specific to the architectural style, the architectural detailing. To me, that is really defined very well in the PD documents, as Mr. Alexander had mentioned, and that will be the dictating uh, uh, um, piece of uh, uh, information for these exterior elevations. Really, what we're trying to represent here is the different color schemes, the different options, and just the differences between each one of the buildings themselves. So that's really what we wanted to present here as far as the exterior elevations go. Um, and I'm really available for any additional questions that we might have. All right. Thank you, sir. On my left, are there any questions? Mr. Bross? Mr. Alexander, but not for, for Mystery of Moore yet. Okay. All right. Any, any other questions for our applicant? All right. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Alexander. We have questions for you, sir. Sir. Yes, Mr. Bross. Thank you, Mayor. Yes, sir. Uh, Mr. Alexander, I look at this and, and I personally am not impressed with the elevations that I see, but I keep coming back to one thing, and even on both the projects that uh, we've seen uh, here in the last few minutes, this one, uh, let's just stick with it since uh, we're on it, but I have, I have learned and have come to, to adapt to the idea uh, of what we're looking for in our neighborhoods. We're looking for residential, commercial, retail. Mm -hmm. And so far tonight, all I'm, all I'm seeing is residential. I don't know where a person would have to go. I'd have to think out of the box right at the moment mm -hmm. to where a person would have to go to find a convenience store or, or some, uh, you know, a little place to go to. It's, I, it's certainly not walkability, I don't think, that we're looking at here. Uh, possibly for some trails or, or for uh, uh, walking just to, uh, to get out. But I, I'm at the point of being a little bit confused. We're, we're not seeing, I'm not seeing any uh, variations in here. 
and I would uh, would certainly expect to see that in in a uh, place this size. Can you help me out? Yes, sir. I'll do my best. So I think part of why this one in particular was designed the way that it is for the city council's review and consideration is due to the anticipated commercial activity further to the west. And also thinking that if there is improved walkability and if there are improved connections from this site to the west, that will funnel that traffic through on to where there is that locus, that nexus of commercial activity. And by that, not even thinking along the lines of more neighborhood oriented, but even something that is more regional oriented. So just because of where my mind is right now, and granted it is thinking about family coming up over the holidays, if I can take you back for a moment to Alpharetta and not historic downtown, but when we exited Georgia 400 onto Old Milton Parkway, there was Avalon that was a regional center of mixed-use activity, and then it transitioned down into detached single-family and even some row homes before getting into the historic core of Alpharetta. I think that takes a little bit of inspiration here and thinking about it through that prism, that lens, that it is allowing for that. Now, it's not to say that there couldn't potentially be an opportunity for some type of commercial activity within this project, but I believe that that was the inspiration behind the conversations with the developer and even the Department of Planning and Development Services thinking. If I may stay there, too, for a moment, uh, perhaps there could be a neighborhood overlay that could be imposed on this that could allow for commercial uses to uh, develop. But again, we wanted to be sure of two things, that we weren't saturating the market with commercial activity and that we were able to make sure that it could be constructed and it could be operated because we have heard from some developers about the concern about the ground floor commercial space potentially remaining vacant for a while. So I think that those were the considerations behind that, sir. I think it's a, a balancing act that we all wish we had the, the scales for, uh, which comes first, the, the residential or the, the uh, retail slash commercial. And uh, I, wish, I wish any of us had the, the, the uh, crystal ball for that. Uh, at this point, I am getting concerned at, at that part of town that, uh, that it is uh, saturated with residential, and I'm not seeing uh, <clears throat> retail of any uh, uh, of any size there. It's a real concern to me. I, I'm struggling with this one, and, yes, and the I, I don't like the variations. This is just myself personally. I don't care for the variations that I saw in the elevations. Um, uh, I think they were minimal, and uh, would certainly like to see something more dressed up. Uh, that's just my thoughts. I'll leave it at that for right now. All right. Appreciate it. All right. Mr. Lewis. Uh, thank you, Mayor. I, I agree with uh, Councilman Brosh's comments at, regarding the elevations specifically that we saw, but uh, are you comfortable, Mr. Alexander, with the text language in the PD 
that that mirrors more of the imagery you showed in your presentation of the architecture? Yes, sir, I am. Okay. I'd almost rather exclude the exhibits that he showed this evening uh, with with their, with just, I know the intent was to show that these buildings aren't all gonna be the same, but um, from an architectural standpoint, that it doesn't match the imagery that we that you showed in your presentation, and so I think there's a, a disconnect there. Um, we're all visual people, and so when you show us something, that's what we're seeing, rather than what what the text language is going to show. So I think that's a hurdle that I'm going to try to get over today, but yes, I, I don't know if I'm there today on it. Um, dude, to Councilman Brosh's point on walkability, that was one of my concerns. Is again, where are they walking to? With the western connection, I just checked on Google Maps. Um, if you walk out west toward 287 and then you head south where that trail system through Chisholm Flats is supposed to be, we're 0.6 miles from Lone Star, right in front of Texas Health. So that's a massive commercial development that's supposed to be there. So you're, you're roughly a half mile walk from where this little central park where they're using their detention, it's roughly a half mile walk from heavy commercial use in the future. Um, the, where these two homes are at the corner of River Birch and Mitchell, what is the zoning there? Do you know? I believe those are also PR, pre-development district. Okay. And then one might be PD, planned development district. Oh, I, I could easily see that also becoming some sort of smaller neighborhood service commercial piece because you have South Point and the Mitchell Farms and Ladera and then this project, that could be the corner store, convenience store, neighborhood market. Uh, location going s this north south road um, was there any discussion as to connecting it uh, leaving a future connection going south no sir not that I recall and I can't remember why we may have backed off on that but I know that there would have been a reason for that okay I I think we might want to consider us a connection going into that property to the south from here. Um, and it, it looks like it shrinks down and just becomes an alley behind them, but um, I think that there probably should be a connection going south. And then I wanted to discuss the connection going west. Um, is it the intent that at construction that that roadway moving west is built, or is it to be left open as a, as a muse and then at a future date becomes the, the right-of-way road? left open as a muse and at a future date, if warranted, then that connection could come through. So, or if the muse is highly desired in that area that we work with maybe creating one-way streets that bridge off of that connection to the west. Okay. That was a thought. And I believe that those streets that are behind that, for the purposes of conversation this afternoon, are classified or defined as alleys, that they're wide enough that they would meet public standards for one-way streets. Okay, uh, so my concerns with that layout is I'd be really upset if I bought a house, a, a townhome on a muse lawn, and then a road gets put in at a future date where the right-of-way was. Um, I just don't know how that, that, that doesn't sit real well. Um, so that, that was the first comment, I just think if we know that that should be the connection point, that should be the connection point um, and, and plan for it. 
I don't love the idea then of public streets becoming the alleyway because the mere, you're trying to keep the muse and now you've got one-way alleys that are our public roadway connectivity going what was intended to be an alley. So I don't, I don't love that solution, the one-way alley deal. And then talk to me about these units uh, that are on the southwest corner. Um, it looks like they're alley loaded, but at construction they're facing the field to the west. Yes, and I think in working with the developer, the desire there was to ensure that they were fronting any type of connection that came through in the future, and that was taking a look at that future plan for development to the west. Okay, so then we don't know which property is that to the west right now. Just trying to think. I mean, you've got to then consider what the, what are they facing. Mm -hmm. Right now it's the back of an industrial lot and large tract of land, but I don't know what they're going to be facing out. I'm just trying to think through. Yes, sir. How do we zone that? How does how does the future connection this this plan? I don't I don't have any issues with this use. Um, the architectural things may not be my taste, but that didn't mean if they think they can sell them, then they can sell them. But uh, I, I think we need a connection to the south. The connection to the west should be there, and then w these units on the southwest corner that are fronting out onto a field. I just I don't know how to make those work. It just seems like there's a couple pieces in the site plan that need need addressed. But your architectural exhibits that you showed were great. Um, the use I don't have any objection to. All of those things I think are fine. Just some concerns on how it, how the site plan functions with the adjacent pieces. Yes, sir. Okay. All right, Ms. Short. I just want to make sure I understood. I thought I heard earlier that uh, the property to the west would most likely be mixed use or retail and and because it it goes to 287. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. So, I mean, I, I just want us to keep in mind that we're not going to have mixed use in every development moving forward when you've got 11 acres. I mean, I don't know how you could have any kind of retail that would work there, but as long as there's a future plan where this does connect, I think that's the important piece, and I don't want that to get lost in our discussions tonight, and I agree. I think um, with everything that, that, that you've got laid out, the architectural will be fine when it's all said and done. Yes, ma'am, thank you. Thank all right, anyone else on my left? On my right. All right, thank you very much. Then I will open the public hearing at uh, 4.37 p.m. We don't have any cards. All right, I will close the public hearing at 4.37 p.m. and call for a motion. Make a motion to approve with a few conditions. Go ahead, sir. Uh, the first is that all of the staff recommended in their presentation be included into the motion and that uh, at the second reading that there's addressed the southwest lots, the connection to the west and the connection to the south. Thank you. I'll second that. Thank you. It's been motion and second. All right. Please cast your votes. There are no other. All right. And that motion carries seven 
zero. Thank you very much. All right, Council, at this time, we will recess into our executive session. Pursuant to Section 551.071, Texas Government Code, Council reserves the right to convene into executive sessions from time to time as deemed necessary during this meeting for any posted agenda item to receive advice from its attorney as permitted by law to discuss the following. A consultation with a city attorney to seek advice about pending or contemplated litigation, settlement offer, or on a matter in which the duty of the city attorney to the city's governmental body under the Texas Disciplinary Rules of Professional Conduct of the State Bar of Texas clearly conflicts with Chapter 551 of the Texas Government Code pursuant to Section 551.071. Seek advice of the city attorney regarding pending litigation, cause number 348-270155-14. Seek advice of city attorney regarding downtown decorative lighting. Seek advice of city attorney regarding uh, legal issues pertaining to economic development projects listed in section 3D of the agenda. B, discussion regarding possible purchase, exchange, lease, or value of real property pursuant to section 551.072 land acquisition for future development. C, personnel matters pursuant to section 551.074, a city secretary evaluation. D, deliberation regarding commercial or financial information received from or the offer of a financial or other incentive made to a business prospect seeking to locate, stay, or expand in or near the territory of the city and uh, with which the city is conducting economic development negotiations pursuant to section 551.087. Economic development project numbers 22-11, 22-23, 23-16, Council will now recess into executive session at 4.40 p.m.
Good evening. We're going to um, reconvene. Excuse me. We're going to re blah, 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 reconvene into our regular business session. There we go. At uh, 6.04 p.m. And as we do that, and council, is there any action to take pursuant to executive session? Mayor. Yes, sir. I'd like to make a motion that we approve an employment contract with the city secretary as discussed in executive ses session and authorize the mayor to execute. Second. All right. Second. All right. It was second by Mr. Newsom. All right. Question. Hearing not, please cast your votes. And the motion carries 7-0. All right. At this time, I will ask for a motion to adjourn. Motion to adjourn. Thank you. That's Mr. Lewis. And that's Ms. Short. Questions? Of course not. All right. And we'll stand adjourned at 6.05 p.m. And let's give our...